And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando, the esteemed Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to Ooh. you live and direct. The superlatives are getting better every week. I like this. Well, you know, I was I was on a podcast yesterday, and I was th- we were talking about, well, I was thinking about, you know, while doing on this podcast, like, we don't really have the Steiners and the Walter Russells and, and all these in this century right now, at least that I know of. And maybe you're not to blow you up too much, but maybe you're you and some of our other friends are the next level of those of those types of luminaries. So maybe that was too much of a stretch right now. I, I, let's let's redact that. Let's Mandela that. But um, or reincarnations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, today, uh we have a wonderful guest, Tom Althouse, uh, is joining us today. I can't wait to get into this. Um, for those that are new to AlphaCast, uh, you can find out more about us at alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. And uh, you can join our online community at t.me forward slash alphavedic. And um, we're also on Discord. I'm getting a little bit of, you guys hearing that? A little digital um gremlin going on here in my audio um that's and- because we have tom on today that, that seems to follow tom around yeah he was having emails disappearing before we started the call and um sorry guys if you're if i'm getting a little uh disturbance in the force there uh, but you can join us on discord as well at discord.com or discord excuse me alphabetic.com forward slash Discord, and we'll be getting off that platform as it seems they're censoring more and more. We will have everything going to alphavedic.com shortly as well. Besides, we'll, we'll keep Telegram going and, of course, developing Cordal more in our Q chat there with the Alphavedic presence on Cordal as we get more and more robust in decentralization and our sovereignty on these digital platforms. I'll be headed down south to talk at a Health Freedom for Humanity event this weekend. Looking forward to seeing a ton of Alphavedic peeps down there. So I'm, I'm taking off today to go meet up with uh, Bryden and, and our, our fam down in Al, uh, Alphavedic uh, SoCal land. I will be um, actually having to fly, which is going to be interesting, but I'm looking forward to that bear to see your son and my homie and hanging out with them and celebrating a birthday down there and having a great time. So um, just that's- make sure to wear your burka on the airplane. <laughs> That is a good strategy our friend uh, Kelly uh, pulled off. And um, that is, that's a funny one. Um, I'll, I'll be uh, navigating that in an interesting way. I'm going to push the limits this go around and see what I can get away with in terms of the map, in terms of the nap, the nappy, um, the face nappy, uh, as our friends across the pond like to say. Okay, Tom is joining us today. Tom Althouse. Uh, is joining us to substantiate his claim as the original writer of the Matrix franchise and how his work was stolen by the Dark Cabal. This is the journey of Thomas Park Althouse. He was a young writer in his 30s when he came up with a visionary movie idea. He knew right at the moment it was going to be called The Immortals. What he didn't know is that it would be soon be stolen to become the Matrix movie franchise. Tom Althouse... Alt, excuse me, Althouse is on a mission to win back name credit for his work, The Immortals, that he pitched in full to Warner Brothers and claims to have been used to make the Matrix trilogy. After a long ordeal involving top players and a documentary in production, justice may finally be in reach despite the powers this author is up against. 
In this interview, Tom will expose the dark cabal and their manipulation of human consciousness while stealing intellectual property and using it for massive profit in the movie Matrix series. Why do the elites in Hollywood, weird government and the church want to hide the truth about the Matrix? Tom is going to share his ongoing lawsuit against Warner Brothers and his claims to have been tricked and smeared for over a decade. The abuse he alleges to have endured resembles all too well the patterns familiar to those who dare to challenge those with immense power and connections. Will Tom bring down the Matrix and the Cabal? We'll let you decide who the real architect of the Matrix really is, but we'll guide the discussion in the deeper parallels between the Matrix movie and the world that most now perceive as real as well as those we call the parasite class who have the inability to create on their own and thus must steal from, from those who are connected to source to um, even create anything on, because they can't create, right, Bear? They have to literally steal our louche. Um, but Bear, they are the, take it away. They're the agent Andersons of, uh, of our world here, of the uh, matrix that we're all living in now, so... Uh... So, sorry, Tom, uh, were you finished with that, Mike? Yeah, go ahead. Take it away. Okay. So, Tom, so uh, delighted to have you here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And and I don't say that lightly. I know you've been through some real, um, uh, you know, real life ordeals because of this. But, of course, it, it is quite a story. And I'm sure uh, our audience will be enthralled by what you have to say. Uh, you know, I'd like this to evolve if we have time today to, you know, use it as a, a discussion into the parallels into, you know, what we're living through now. And as Mike already said, um, you know, we have this um, this uh, agent uh, Anderson class, you know, that is working in their hindbrain and they do not have that tether to their creative self. So they need to steal uh, you know, intellectual property, uh, patents, and all sorts of uh, things from people in order to keep their machine going and then claim credit for it. So um, uh, it'll be interesting too, you know, I know you've had quite a, um, a chain of, uh, you know, stations being taken down, uh, <laughs> you know, wherever you, uh, you know, do an interview. So we'll see if DoucheTube here uh, gives us our final streak today. <laughs> but um, a strike rather. Oh, okay. So, um, so, so, so let's just start from the beginning here, you know, cause there's so much I'd like to talk to you about and you have some overwhelming evidence there that is, uh, you know, I'd say pretty hard to deny and we'll let you present that. Now, a long time ago, there was a program called what's my line. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, for the non-geriatrics in our audience <laughs> uh, that, most assuredly don't remember that show, uh, there would be usually a panel of three people that would uh, make the same claim to some intellectual property or achievement, and they would present their case, and then the audience would make up their mind. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, you know, I have my own ideas, but it's up to you all out there to decide for yourself. Now, we have, of course, the Wachowski brothers, um, or are they sisters now? I'm not sure. Um, so they, and then we, they're, 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 we don't know <laughs> oh. what they are. Uh, forgive me Wachowskis if I, uh, mispronounced you. And, um, and I say that with all true sarcasm. Now, uh, we also have, uh, Sophia Stewart mm -hmm. who has a claim that she not only wrote the matrix, but the Terminator all in one story. 
And now, Tom, you're here to make your case. So uh, the floor is yours. If you could just, yeah, you know the timeline and, and you know, better and how to start it off and, and you know, lead us through the sequence of events. So I'm going to let you do that rather, rather than try to lead with a question here. So if you could start from the beginning and uh, take it away. And thanks again for being here. We really, really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me here, too. And I think one of the questions that could be posed is, you know, whose baby is it? And when I say that, I mean, when you have the Wachowskis and Sophia Stewart, you have if you actually are the writers, then you have an investiture invested into the piece, feelings, emotions, passions, purpose and, and backstory. You have where does these scenes come from? You have um, why are they there? Why is the import? How does the story tie together? How does it flow? Where did it come from in your life? These things will not be answered by Sophia Stewart and the Wachowskis. In fact, one of the most pivotal scenes is the train station scene, I think people can agree, in the Matrix story. And in that is layered, I sent you a graphic where it actually has layers that were lifted out when the work was stolen by the Wachowskis in particular. They lift out the images they thought were cool, simplify everything and leave audiences to determine for themselves what it means. On their own fan page, they say, you know, the little girl at the train station is simply one line, a subplot. No, it's not. The little girl at the train station represents this author's loss of his daughter and is essential because you got to put the relationship back, just jumping ahead, of Neo with his daughter. That raises the stakes in the story. It sets up for a satisfying ending. At the end, you have a little girl from the train station is renewed to life by the earth greening from a um, uh, architect or uh, identical figure being thrown in, Smith character, thrown into the pit. A pulse wave comes out, greening the earth, renewing her life. You have a cutaway scene at the end of that Matrix uh, series where she is hugging the Oracle and pointing to the sun. Now, what's interesting is if you look at articles, the Wachowskis say they wanted to keep the exact same ending, but they said everybody on set said blow up the Matrix to end it. Why? Because what they were doing was they were making up as they went along with this script in hand, we now have the fight choreographer telling us my work. That's a specialist and the supervising uh, director of the copyright office with the title. And there's the date, 1998, December, right before they shoot it. This was in hand on the set as they made it up, as they went along with a visual storyboard that lifted every one of these scenes out that match up into a visual storyboard to simplify it so they could take credit for first claimant for that work for that image, that idea. And so that's really what it was about, how to steal it, how to launder it. And so what you have is the train station scene, let's just tap that and I'll go back. That train station scene actually has the liquid mirrors. If you take the pill, you can pass through them. There's security devices at the train station. They lift that out into a scene where Morpheus has Neo put his hand through. You have the little girl at the train station with a family pushing her forward to put her in the life and the program where they can't follow. That is also there, but it's supposed to be a crowded scene. They were cheapening the budget. So they went into a static scene with just a rich Indian family. It's supposed to be crowds of people pushing their kids forward for Neo to take into the program when he passes through the liquid mirror since he's on the program with the pill. You also have the idea of um, a Trinity rescuing him from the train station with a kiss to track the guard. That is in the original piece also in a separate train station. What they did was they put the two train station scenes together save time, same budget as they made it up as they went along. In the other one, he's cut from the program. He cannot pass through the mirrors. That's how he's trapped. Not that run down the corridor and come back again like an Escher print, which doesn't make any sense. He is dragged 
brought through the mirrors by Trinity, kissing, distracting the guard, and part of his clothing is actually cut off. That's what it's supposed to be. So these different layers are in there, lifted out to simplify them, to get credit for the work. That's how the Wachowskis did it, first credit. That's why you have a visual storyboard. The 600 page storyboard is done to mechanize that, to make it happen. In fact, in other ripoffs, you have Matt Damon said in, uh, I think it was Elysium, he was only shown um, a visual storyboard. He wasn't shown a script. And uh, same with um, the first pick for uh, Neo, which I think was um, our wonderful Afro-American friend actor uh, who does a great job. Um, he was shown a visual storyboard. That's why he turned down the rule. He wasn't even shown a script. So all he did was talk about, you're gonna have some cool scenes. Wait, who was so, that? That was, I'm trying to think of his name. Who's the guy Gray from Independence Day? The great actor from Independence oh, Day. Oh, Will Smith? That? Yeah, he was offered Neo. Oh, that's right, I've heard that. Yeah. So he turned it down because they didn't have a script to show him. They just talked about how you're gonna have cool scenes. The Wachowskis were too lazy to write it all down. So what they did was they had, they had a 20 foot rule on set. People that are fans of the work would know. And I'm now told by the fight choreographer, one of them is Paul Martin, that this was on set in hand. The other hand is visual storyboard. They made it up as they went along. And just as they did as Matrix 4, just like they did. At the end of the shooting, they write down what they wrote, what they said, the actors said. And that's where the script comes from after the fact, after it's shot. And that's what's so interesting is the 20 foot rule, even the A actors weren't allowed within 20 feet of the script, otherwise you're fired. Now it's common knowledge that this script was used on set. It's the one that precedes it. It's the one that was pitched to Bonaventura. Bonaventura still claims he shepherded and discovered the Matrix story, not Joe Silver. And who is Bonaventura? The exec at Warner Brothers has a penchant for saving the careers of failed writers. Sounds familiar. And so what happens is this man is the one I pitched it to in New York. After the pitch session, he actually went to a bank and bragged that he had a revolutionary new script he has. He gave directions to James Boyd of Norfolk to submit it, to submit the script um, and get it to Warner Brothers. And what would happen was he would push it through to meet protocols. Here's the affidavit of James Boyd. He did submit it in full. And on the other page, you see, it's notarized. I know you can't read this this fast. So I'm just gonna hold it up. What's interesting is he has on file still the receipt tracking number, the letter, June 20, 20 uh, what is it? June 25th, 1993. The Wachowskis now claim that sometime in 1993, they came up with it. They claim they have notebooks that are handwritten, but they say they only have the one pages from it or typewritten. And they claim they only have one page left now. They don't know where they are. The Warner Brothers attorney. So Tom? Yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt. Uh, oh, you have all these on your site. Yeah. So that people can go, uh, you know, really study them. Could you maybe tell us what your site is? And then, sorry, keep sure, uh, continuing on. No, please do. And please mm -hmm. interrupt anytime because I'll get as a there's a passion with me for this work mm -hmm. and I will get rolling. And it's like, you know, to have a voice, I'm so grateful because there's been so much interruption, so much sites being struck. They do not want this out because this could turn the tables on the world. It could change things mm -hmm. around and they don't want their power. They're basically their power transversing to somebody else. Or yeah, and I want to go deeper into that. What are the grand ramifications of this? Besides oh. just you're trying to claim your pr property, which is important as well. Yeah. But there are grander ramifications. And oh, yeah, time. big yeah. time. It's like a purple wave that's going to change this world. Wash away, invert the pyramid back up where the people on top should belong. And so the ones that actually should be on top. So what I want to say, too, is that... 
anybody worth their salt is going to approach this with skepticism. They're going to go, no way. There's going to be plenty of shills. They're going to guide them and say, this is BS. But when you actually look at some of the initial hard-hitting meat and potato graphics that are actually done by the Wachowskis and placed into the films themselves, we start to get the idea that there's something here. And I want to address, since you said, redpillrising.org, redpillrising.org is the website. Now, sometimes you can't access that site. They'll tell you all kinds of things to try to keep you away from it. Um, there's a PayPal on there. A lot of times people can't even get on the PayPal. But on that, should you get there, you'll see the first graphic that was done in the matrix. Now, this is very important. The Wachowski said that everything that was in the matrix story, any cell they put in was by them equally, Larry and Andy and all the assortment of names they come up with now. So all that, all they did was put in by their doing and then it's right here in their own article, Smoking Gun. So I don't know if you can read that, but the thing is that they're saying that every cell that went into the matrix story, every piece of information is for their eyes only, basically. Audiences can figure out for themselves. And that is equally by Andy and Larry. Now, what's interesting, they get caught with their pants down because the first graphic in all this information they stuck in there to be clever, and that's what's important to them to be clever, is a graphic, the initial one at the interrogation scene. That interrogation scene graphic is very important because it has on it a bunch of material, a rap sheet on Neo, if you will. Interesting enough, Neo has two names. Neo is not just Neo. Very interesting to throw two names for a character into a film that can confuse an audience, but they do it on purpose because they wanna put in Thomas A. So Neo is actually Thomas A. Yeah, that's me. And they say Anderson. Well, Anderson is my Scottish clan name. Then on that same graphic, that's in the frozen for a split second in the matrix, in the interrogation scene, you see July 22nd. What's interesting is guys, July 22nd is what my birthday was listed on records in 1996. So in 1999, if you were to look up Tom Althaus, his birthday would be listed as July 22nd. Now something interesting happens. Those records are corrected in 2003 to the actual birthday. So they stick it in animatrix on the clock that fills the screen. Seven, two, 59, one before the 60. What are the chances of having your exact birthday, day, month, year on a clock filling the screen when the industry, as you know, Bear, usually went to 10 after 10, the smiling hands as a go-to default for, for um, numbers, clocks. So there it is again, the exact birthday of my, mine being corrected. So the graphic in uh, 1999 in the matrix, the first graphic that you put in has July 22nd, my birthday as it was in records at that time. And then in, 19, in 2003, exactly on the clock, which is an expensive graphic to make, 7259. And that's on an animated Animatrix? What was that one the again? Detective story in Animatrix, the little um, shorts they did while oh. they, shot, they shot two and three in 2003. And they did the Animatrix at the same time. Why? Why would you shoot two and three and the Animatrix at the same time? Well, I just contacted them. They got hold of my uh, revised script at that time. And they went ahead, rushed ahead. They were actually working on Matrix 2, which failed badly. In it, they had Greg as a um, Smith-operated clone, basically, of Neo, Thomas A. Thomas A and Greg are the ones that worked on the battle sequences, my friend Greg and I. So what they did was they made us opposed to each other when I had submitted the work saying Greg worked with me on this. So they put Greg in their piece they're working on. 
then they scrapped it. Yeah, they scrapped the project and they didn't do Matrix 2 the way they were designing it because it was failing badly. Besides having the Smiths working to craft a new Neo to work against him named Gregory, they have an opening with Neo on a motorcycle which dissolves and falls to pieces as he's riding along, trying to be cool, doesn't fade the story. So they scrap it, get behind budget shooting and Bear would know that's a bad no-no to get behind the budget shooting uh, timing and schedule and go to my script, it's held in hand. So what you have then is, while this goes up in the detective story, you actually have Tom Park Althouse across the screen in that same detective story. They change the antique uh, house, antique shop to antique house to make house for Althouse. Then they have across the screen, T-O-M-P-A-R-K, very clever the way they did that. They used Mopar in the center of the screen in the graphic and they put a little etched ghosty K on it. And so therefore one way reverse it, it says Tom with Mopar attached. And then the other way says Park with Mopar attached. Right in the middle with Tom Park Althouse. Very clever, reversed mirror image, all lines up perfectly for my name. That on top of my exact birthday on the clock. That four past the four on the red, I was 44 in 2003 on the red. So this is so what's yeah. what's yeah. are they just rubbing your face in it or 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 is this just their way of um, admitting the truth because they have to? That's or a great both. Bear. That's or is a it great dark question. magic? Yeah, exactly. I think I think I, I think you actually have that, Mike, because and that's a great question, Bear. Because what's going on is it's still left open. Now I was contacted by a story department person, a man. He wanted to remain anonymous. I would never have known this was here that the uh, original Matrix uh, graphic, that my birthday as it was in 1996 was there, my name and more, that I'll go into in a second, was all there unless he had called me and told me. He said, they hate you, they don't understand your work, they ripped you off. It's common knowledge throughout the industry, they took your work. Nobody really likes them, they're arrogant and they're being groomed to be like, you know, they're just playful frat boys, but actually they're not liked. They're super arrogant, they're rude to everybody on set. They don't care about your work. They don't understand your work. They're simply using it as a quote ladder for Larry to save his life and become important. It's interesting to just a side note here. Dean Laurentiis wined and dined the Wachowskis after they failed at their painting business, dropped out of school. All they had was carnivore and plastic man to pitch and they're still pitching it. Nobody wants it. Why is Dean Laurentiis wining and dining them and taking them to dinner and promising them starlets, beautiful starlets, fame, fortune, money, why? Why are you recruiting them out of all the possible potential good writers in this country, in the world? Why are you recruiting them and promising them all these things? Because they need somebody in-house, brought in-house to claim the work, to keep the work in-house. That's why. Now, why did they stick it in there? Like Bear said, and I'm gonna go along with you, Mike, on part of your answer, is that they wanted to work a thing where it's like, we are clever, we're one-upping the author. They felt dumb because they didn't understand the work. They, they hate the author because they don't understand the work. So they want to feel smarter than the author. So stick the things in that they'll never, the author will never see unless he's told in for a split second, upside down. And in fact, Susan, Susan Bolgen, the graphic designer said anything in for a split second in her article is for the Wachowski's eyes only to keep the project interesting. They didn't like the work. They didn't like it at all. They hated it. And they didn't think they'd have to do a two and a three. That's why when my script, that's why the script was just basically, they said they keep the exact seams. So here you have, let's go to the back of the original graphic and I'll send it over to you guys again. Sorry for talking fast. My mind works very quickly. And that's how I no, write. No, this is great. Too. So this yeah. This is great. Oh, yeah. losing a lot of me. information to get in on a short time. 
yeah, in my mind, that's how my mind works. Like boom, 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 fires off like a rocket. But not like I know you guys understand that. Thank you. So what happened mm -hmm. is in the original graphic, you have not only that July 22nd, which is very telling, they correct it later on the clock face. Like I said, just hold it up, they don't like this. So you have that and you have my high school. What? My high school on top of it? Susanna Bolgen, who I said was the graphic designer, said they layer the information to get by, why? To get by the story development department, story department, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, checks content, not story department, the um, clearance department. So the clearance department is actually part of the studios, you probably know Bear, where they have to filter everything through. So to get by them and make their jokes stick, it was supposed to be a joke on me, right? And this is being put in before it's out. So they layer stuff, what they put in that's layered. My name, my Scottish clan name, my dad's name, John A. as Neo's dad. In the column, it says TA4099. TA was 40 and 99. Larry was obsessed by the age. And something also really huge, my high school. Central West High. Why is Central West High Neo's junior high? See, that's tweaking it. It's supposed to be tweaked. That's not much of a tweak. So Central West High, my alma mater, that's my diploma right there. That's my diploma. Why is that Neo's? Why is that Neo's? You already stuck my name, my uh, Scottish clan name, my birthday as it was wrong in the records at the time, my dad's name in the column TA 4099. Yeah, TA was 4099 in 99. Why go so far, Wachowskis? Because it's, as Susanna Bolton said, in for a split second upside down. And at that time, it was all videos at the time, VHS. No one can freeze frame that. If you look at the actual graphic, you only get a split second to freeze it, just like they said. Upside down gives a little more insurance, I guess. So that's what's going on. They stuck it in there. They rub it in the face. They're trying to be clever. They hate the work. It was only to save their career. What was Bonaventura's pension? His pension was to save the career of failed writers. What does Wachowski say in an article? And I'll say this breath and I'll pass it back to you for a moment. They said in an article in 95 that they were washed up as writers. They wouldn't be able to succeed. They'd have to pack their bags because they failed as writers in Hollywood. And how the hell did they come with this 90, they claimed in 93 they created it? The screenplay for The Matrix, they held that back? They were given an audition piece after they failed at Assassins. Assassins, who's on the copyright for Assassins? Let's take a moment and look. On the copyright of Assassins, you're gonna find, lo and behold, Larry and Andy Wachowski. This is from the Copyright Office. Larry and Andy Wachowski are with Dina Laurentiis, Paradise Films, Dina Laurentiis. Dina Laurentiis, there's the man that wined and dined him under Assassins, the title Assassins. All right, so they failed. Another writer had been brought in to finish it. This made the Wachowskis furious. They have high egos. They were set to be tied. So they go all the way to the Writers Guild and what happens is people check this trail, They'll see the Writers Guild say, you got to keep your name credit on it. You can't take it off. They didn't want to. They were embarrassed about another writer finishing it. So Joel Silver steps forward to save the day. Joel Silver, according to Teresa Wayne at the story department, entered the Matrix or Mortal story by himself, sans Wachowskis, in 1994. No Wachowskis. In fact, Thea Bloom said the only time the Wachowskis get involved with Matrix is 1996. And so what happens is Joel Silver's holding it, looking for someone to give it to while the suits are looking for candidates too. Wendy Wasserstein, I think it was, was the one that they were gonna give it to. A famous Jewish playwright was gonna suddenly take credit for the Matrix story. That was first pick, Wachowski's lost it.
So what does Joel Silver do to please the suits? And this is the facts. They give them bound. They give them bound. So if they can prove they can at least direct, then they'll be given bound. What did the Wachowski say in an article just preceding that? We are, the author says, I got this exclusive author, author, uh, interview with Wachowskis. And he goes, what's next, right? After, after assessing. They go, well, we're, we're hoping to do Plastic Man and Carnivore. It's right in the text and the copy. And then there's a pause written in with brackets, pause. And it says, we're hoping to be given the science project. Not hoping to be given Matrix. And why are you going to be given it? Because that's exactly what's going on. So Joel Silver gives them bound to do as a what? Audition piece. Joski's trying to backtrack on that now. Audition piece. I think fans know that very well. Who's the lead character's name? Mike, you might like this. Who's the lead character's name representing Larry in Bound? Violet. Well, that doesn't raise hairs yet. What is Bound again? Bound is about two girls that are going to get naked over a bottle of gin. That are tied up or something? Yeah, yeah, tied up and fight and whatever and and have sexual relations, basically, is the Wachowski's brilliant minds. If you look at the uh, (laughs) thing on Bound on YouTube, you'll see Bound interview, Bound or talks by Wachowski's on YouTube. Watch them talk. They go like this. Well, we thought that we would have a sexy protagonist and people wanted to tell us what to do. Basically, as they're saying, they go like, you know, we have a symbiotic relationship, Andy and I. That's how they talk. What are they? Are they even human? I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know. Seriously. And so what happens is they do bound. But I'm telling you, Mike, get this and bear too. The name Violet for the main character is important because that's my grandmother's name, Violet. So the thing is they just keep hammering at home, don't they? Egg in the face, egg in the face. So here you have, let's follow this thread real quick and I'll pass it over. We have Dean Laurentiis clearly there, Paradise Films, his company, Wachowski's on Assassins. Now what happens with my title? Well, take a look. When it comes to my title, where's the piece? You have a piece here, I can't find the sheet right now. The sheet, oh, where is it? Where you have De Laurentiis listed on the Immortals title without, I can't find the sheet right now, but here's here's a second copy. He changed his name off it when I came forward in 1996 to submit again. Um, You have Immortals title under different players. Now, initially, just before this one, it's De Laurentiis, Paradise Films, Sans Wachowskis, no Wachowskis, just him. And so that's really, really important that they put it under De Laurentiis, my actual title. Then what happens is, sorry, I couldn't find that sheet. It's on my site, the uh, redpillrising.org, that actual sheet with Dean Laurentiis and Paradise Films and Dean Laurentiis Pictures under Immortals title. Then you have him switch from Immortals under Immortals title. You have him switch off when I've come forward and resubmitted to the biggest investment firms in our world. So the question Mike and Bear is, why would investment firms claim creative content? Why would they claim they created content? Well, if investment firms are savvy enough to write film screenplays that are blockbusters, they've got it made. Not only do they written great work, they can now send it out to anybody. Anybody who wants to take a take on it can get a lot of money from them that are going to owe them back for. So they, the people that are going to steal it feel safe to take it because the investment firms claim ownership and creation. And the investment firms make a profit every time they give it out to be stolen. So it's a racket. Investment firms don't create content. They don't. And that's what's on that copyright. And if you'll notice on that copyright, there's no body of work, just my title. And under it, subtitles, 346 plus the Army of Darkness, which they wanted most forward. So what you have is slots created the Copyright Office under all these bogus titles, 
which the Wachowskis were supposed to pick one of them when they were given the green light for the work. And they did not because they wanted to slap the face of Warner Brothers for bringing other writers in to finish Assassins. So they don't take a title off those 347 options, which means now Warner Brothers butts in the wind. Now we can track them because there is no copyright on the Matrix title. Warner Brothers wouldn't let that happen because they didn't take off the list that they had copyrighted, which you can't copyright titles, but they did. See how big it gets? Do you see how big yeah, it yeah, gets? Yeah. Okay, There's a lot to- of information coming at us, right, Tom? I want to slow it down a little bit if we oh, can. Yeah. So we yeah. can really kind of take it all in because you're sure. I love it. It's the fast firing here of info. But to step back a little bit to all of the little teasers they put in related to your life and your and your name and mm-hmm. everything. Could it be that this is kind of what in their twisted rules of their karmic rules that they have to put this out? We talk about this a lot with, um, you know, what they use films for is to put out these little reality breakdowns and how they're manipulating us and how we are, I guess, in their minds, opting in in a weird way by engaging in it and accepting it. And it's kind of like Bear and I have talked about this a lot. It's kind of like their karmic rules they have to live by or that we all have to live by. You think that might have something to do a little bit with that and trying to, I guess, substantiate their own stealing of your information. They think, well, we're putting, we're giving you credit in our weird way by putting all your name and information in there. I don't know. I'm just thinking in terms of how the magic works, Bear. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. It's also their get out of karma free card, I think. Yeah. 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 Which yeah, is what I, you just said, yeah. I know. Yeah. And I'll give you a short response too. We'll, we'll do an interplay now instead of me just taking the floor <clears throat> because I want to hear your guys' thoughts too. It's like, um, also, it's a one-up on Warner Brothers. It's a one-up. And you're right about the karmic card and everything else and having the, they want to have power over the source. They want to have power over the source. So they take control of the source by being more clever than the source. And so they would do that. They name, they name it and claim it basically, I think is part of this deal too. Like you said, the magic wielding. And also they want to have one up on Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers did the worst thing. They're never going to forget it by bringing another writer in to finish Assassins that they had to go on in the on the articles and say, we failed as writers. For them to say that with the egos that are size of Manhattan they have, they had to be quite upset to go that far, to publicly say that, that we failed as writers. And have to pack our bags unless we're given something to direct they're trying to force the hands of warner brothers to have that information in there they have a one-up on warner brothers if you warner brothers screw us again we will let it be known that is the author's information's all through here yeah. that you did it you made us do this it's your fault it's your fault i think we could stretch it that far that there's sort of a we got a one-up on you guys play but warner brothers did a one-up on them you got to become transgender andy did not want to become a transgender he did not. But that's the price you're going to pay, Andy. If you're getting all these rewards, beautiful women, money, and as Gino Rentes promised over his dinner, then you're going to pay a price too for not behaving yourself and lashing out when we had to bring another writer in because you guys were so bad at writing. Wow. So this, is, and Andy, yeah. this is a fascinating topic. I mean, this could be, this is in itself an entire podcast is talking about the trans the pushing of the trans agenda for, because of course that directly links into transhumanism, which we know is the goal to move us into this, this digital AI realm and away from spirit, disconnect us from spirit. That's what we're all talking about here. The, the creator, the creative ability of spirit to, to, to do what we're meant to do here and how they have disconnected from that. So they want us all to be in that same prison. Um, and so w- look at what's happening. They literally went transgender. It's both, 
like how weird is that two brothers are both trans and i was just looking at pictures of them on imdb and oh, good god yeah. good god what is going on there this is wacky world talk about clown world bear yeah i mean so bizarre <laughs> think of what andy said yeah. Andy was asked you know how do you you're happy now right basically paraphrasing it you're happy now right he was asked by on the air and he goes not really no he didn't want to become a woman and any lady out there knows, or, or let's talk about a guy who's going to be um, transvestite or something like that. Like, look at Eddie Izzard, one of my favorite comedians of all time. One of my favorite comedians. He is so good at callback and interlaying and playback on, you know, connecting topics. Love his stuff. But he says, too, we dress perfectly. We have makeup on perfectly. He's talking about it, right? Great. To the, does Andy? Andy doesn't look like he, he looked like he slapped a dress on and slapped him on like he's out of a James Bond movie where the lady's trying, the widow's beating him with a fire iron. You know, it's like he's not looking like he really wants to be that. He's not going into the, what's the fun for him? If he's going to be a transgender, what's the draw for him? Certain not putting on the makeup and looking pretty. So he is not liking his role. And that transgender thing, guys, actually comes from the screenplay of the Immortals. In here, what you have is you have that idea of genderless females which if there was another, if there was more time, we go into the Ghost in the Shell, how they used Ghost in the Shell in 1994 to launder all these images through a Japanese director. So they would say they have viable source material. In 1994, I submitted in 1993, guys. That's where the Ghost battle- Ghost in the Shell, interesting. I'm very yeah. familiar with that so, as yeah. well. So that's so where Tom, they put generous females, generous people and, and Jackson Eck. Go ahead, Bear. I was just gonna ask, are you gonna go into your um, legal process at all? And I know that's that could be very time consuming. And you already mentioned how certain financial institutions were staking claim, but then they aren't allowed to. But you know that's a very um, tried and proven uh, technique that agencies and uh, judicial entities use. You know they do things that they're not supposed to do. Then they do the shell game between each other so that it's hard to pin the culpability on any particular party. I've uh, found myself in the middle of that game with uh, different agencies myself. And uh, but anyway, uh, if you could just maybe share a little bit of your deal with that. Can I say one thing? One great comment here about the makeup EW in the chat. Um, yep. <laughs> makeup is toxins. It's punishment. Your pores can't breathe. It's like cellular nappies. Um, it's like gold, gold finger. I think it was gold. Finger. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like they are flogging themselves with their own occult misery. That's right. That's right. And I did find the sheet, by the way, not to digress. I just want to show you. Here's the Immortals title. Remember Dina Laurentiis, Paradise Films with the Wachowskis on Assassins? There's my title, The Immortals. There's all the subtitles to create slots in the Copyright Office. The Wachowskis are supposed to choose one if they're selected. Look who's under it. Dean Laurentis, Paradise Films, Dean Laurentis Pictures, and the investment firm. So that then changes to just the investment firms. But there it is right there. What could be more telling? The Immortals title, all the subtitles, no body of work, just titles under the man who's going to rip it off. So that shows us that Dean Laurentis wasn't sure if the Wachowskis were going to be picked at that time. That's 1995-96. He wasn't sure if he was going to pick the Wachowskis. Would you give us a little background on De Laurentiis? Because I know that's a family. I know it's funny, having watched um, uh, Food Network back in the day, I think even uh, Giada was maybe the daughter or something. You know, she was a, I don't know if they're, they're connected, but there's an entertainment group. What is the 
what is De Laurentiis when you mentioned that? Is that a fashion designer? I'm trying to remember who that, what that is. De Laurentiis was um, the Italian producer who was connected to Warner Brothers. Okay. And uh, his own films, uh, his own companies like Paradise Films, like you just saw mm-hmm. in De Laurentiis pictures. He's died now, but his wife has taken it over. And so um, him and Bonaventure are main players in the ripoff of the Matrix trilogy. Joel Got Silver, it. they're claiming that Joel Silver has nothing to do with the Matrix. Like, really? Their attorney said nothing to do with it. Mew point to involve him at all. It's like Joel Silver owns the franchise with the Wachowskis. He even says, produced by Joel Silver, executive producer. They're trying to argue he has nothing to do with it. They're trying to shield Joel Silver. So what they do is they provide their own attorneys to make sure um, your case is thrown. And one of the things they do with those attorneys, let's answer Bear's question here, how to throw a case right off the bat, have the attorney they provide you not eligible to practice law. See it? Not eligible to practice law. And who shows up? Tony Rankin. Who's Tony Rankin? Classmates with the attorneys representing Warner Brothers and not the sharpest tool in the shed. So what happens is he throws every deadline. You may know this one, Bear. It comes time for a deadline. He disappears, can't be reached by phone, anything until that deadline is missed. As soon as the day after the deadline's missed and statutes are lost, he shows up. Oh, I guess we can't do it now. After three months of absence, we never had a day in court. We never did. Now their talking point is you lost your case. It's all over the net. Lost your case, lost your case, only negative stuff. We never got to it. What happened was they threw the case by guy who's not eligible to practice. He ran out the deadlines. When it was time to file, he filed pro per after he missed the deadline to file and then said, we're guilty for making false claims because we didn't file in time. He took two years, two and a half years and chewed it up. And then, and then what happens is he doesn't serve the defendants in time, case thrown again, three times thrown, three times thrown. I'm so sick of their talking point. You lost your case. They railroaded it completely. It was worse than Breaker Morant times 10. So what you have then is after he throws it, get this, after he throws the case, doesn't serve the defendants, I say, I need to talk to the judge. You will not talk to the judge. You will not talk to the judge is the response. Now get this. They stipulate that Rankin, Tony Rankin, can file my case. It's already thrown. That the defendants agree, their attorneys say you can stipulate. Why would you stipulate that you can file the case when you just already won through illegitimate means? Why? Right, Bear? Why? So they stipulate. And who is it that reinstates Rankin's license after, since it's been out of unlicensed since 1982? He had the audacity to send an email on the day he filed, past the deadline, it's too late anyway, saying, oh, I forgot, I'll have to tell you something. Then he sends an email, which we have, that says, oh, I forgot my license was expired. What? 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 How could you forget for decades that your license was expired when you're practicing law in California? Right? Huh? So it gets worse and worse and worse on this cover-up and what they do, but it is the opposing firm, his classmates, Linda Burrow and Caldwell Leslie and Proctor and Arwen Johnson and this other guy, Kurt Bessinger, who stipulate that Rankin, or they go to bat for him and say Rankin's license should be reinstated. They're rejected by the courts. They try again and get it in. It's one big team. It's one big team. But you want to hear one of the good things in all this? They have a deposition with me that last seven and a half hours. And in that they alter evidence, they, they do incredible things. And at the end of it is most telling. Rankin, Tony Rankin had a tape recorder that matches mine. He takes my tape recorder, turns it off because I didn't know if I could tape or not. He said, no, puts it in his pocket, keeps his on. He records everything illegally. I didn't realize that was illegal in California. He knows even though his license was ineligible for so long. He tapes everything from sessions to lunch to inner parties talking secretly. 
and gives me back the wrong tape recorder. So I get back the tape recorder that matches his. I get his with everything on it. And on that tape recorder, he's, he's asking the question just to cover his own ass, his butt, sorry. He says, uh, what about those long awaited initial disclosures? Wait, we haven't had initial disclosures for what, nine months now? I think that's part of the due process, right? You're supposed to have initial disclosures. Evidence given by the other side. No, here's the response. Well, it's a moot point to ask for disclosures of any kind because uh, there is no working drafts or evidence at all. There's no working drafts at all. There is none. How in the hell did you write the matrix and produce it and film it without drafts, without scripts? How did you do it? And their own attorney that was supplied slipped and said, yeah, they used your script on set, Tom. In fact, wow. in that deposition, in that deposition, the attorney, Linda Burrow, who's a transgender firm, of course. <laughs> said, yeah, yeah, it's all set up, isn't it? That's why whenever you hear the comments, he lost his case, and they do a little link. That's their thing to do now. Think of this. Think of this. There hasn't been the day yet. It's all fraud, which means no statute of limitations. We're coming back. And so what happens is Linda Burrow actually slips in the deposition and says, given the fact that you wrote the matrix, just strike that. They can't even hold their lies back. Unbelievable, Bear. <laughs> this is an so, amazing um, story. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it is unbelievable, but not surprising at all not to at me. All. Um, not to take you off track. Uh, no. there, there's so many questions I have. One, before I forget, though, is we have one more panelist on my what's my line thing here, and that's uh, Stewart, Sophia Stewart. I'm starting to suspect, what is she, some kind of controlled opposition that was put out there just to muddle the waters even more? Or what's her that's role in all this? Very important question. Great question, Bear. Very important. She is, uh, her number one, explain it to me. Nicholas Jackson is her number one, because she called it her lieutenant. She likes to think that all her fans and all this stuff, in fact, when she approached me after things first came forward, she called me had her guy on the phone, Nicholas Jackson, saying, Sophia wants to talk to you. And you hear in the background on the tape, is that Tom Oldhouse, not Tom Oldhouse? And she gets on and says, you're the missing link. Your life is over as you know it. Now you're a celebrity and you have to claim two and three, I'm Matrix One. Now, why is she saying that? Because she's working for Rankin, Tony Rankin and Warner Brothers. The reason she's put in place is she's supposed to be a plausible first claimant. That's supposed to make audiences go, we've heard this before. That's just another one coming forward, no way. The guys that are, are girls and guys that actually are the original source material writers, they're usually the last to know. We're usually the last to know. And we only find out because we're informed. And that's after they've already played their cards, like the art of war. They've already set forward their claimant to make people not want to look anymore. So that's what she was. And where'd she come from? USC. What they do is they take D players, not to be insulting, I'm just saying this is what I've been told by the White Hats too. There's A players and D players. A players can make it on their own auspices through the industry. They can make it on their own merits and talents. D players can't. So D players are very important in the grist mill in Hollywood. D players are used then to be internal claimants to steal work. A players make it on their own. So D players are brought in to claim work to keep it in-house. Sophia Stewart was that character. Nicholas Jackson goes so far to say that she was an in-house witch. Not, not trying to, I'm actually saying what he said. It's on the phone. In-house witch that was supposed to bring me down. And boy, was she a handler for me. I've had so many calls from Sophia Stewart mocking me about the death of my sons, the murders of my sons, the two sons that were killed, mocking me saying it's my fault because I was in a cult, she said. She also says uh, whatever talking points they want, she will laugh, she will mock, she will even did this, even did this sing-song voice going, 
I've got the letter. I've got the letter. That's how juvenile she's been. So she is supposed to bring me down and bring people to believe that she won a case she didn't. Her screenplay is really, or her book, The Third Eye, is 30 pages, basically. She calls it her manuscript. It's not a screenplay. And what it is is basically a mix of the Bible and Star Wars. A man, a gentleman did a really good review of it online. And uh, Nicholas Jackson actually gave me that link and online. Nicholas Jackson told me that she hates you. She was assigned to you from the beginning to bring you down and has trashed you from go. And that's her job. Now, what's interesting is Sophia Stewart made a statement which made her unusable for Warner Rose at the moment. She said that she has a trademark and claim of Matrix, the Matrix trademark. Why would you even do that? You didn't write the title. I'll give the credit that the Wachowski's title, they chose Matrix off all those titles I mean, away from it. They did that. That's one thing they did do. So she claims the trademark for Matrix, it's her name or title? No, it work. But since Matrix 4 came forward, she lost face. They can no longer use her as a claimant much anymore because, well, Matrix 4 came forward. She didn't claim it. She couldn't stop him. She said she would. So knocked out of the playing field. So where is Hollywood going with all this? I mean, like the, the rest of the cabal, it really appears that they've shot themselves in the foot too many times. I mean, the, the industry is going downhill. Most of us, uh, myself anyway, I don't even, I can't even look at movies with certain actors in them. And they're, they're all, you know, the whole operation is captured. So um are they just done is it you know like right now we're on alternative media right now and more people are watching things like uh, what we're putting on than the legacy media so um where do you see this uh where's it going i love that question bear that's a multi-layered one i love it i'll try to Mm -hmm. nutshell these it's great question Mm -hmm. it's trying to reinvent itself is really the short answer they're trying to reinvent themselves and basically what they're doing now is they're trying to dole out um uh rewards to placate and make egos satiated. Steven Spielberg is going through a whole, even call him Steven Spielberg in the industry, is going through a whole PR thing of lifting up as some wonderful treasure of the nation. And that's going on heavily right now for a reason, because Spielberg could spill it. And same thing with um, uh, Michael Eisner from Disney. He's trying to cover his butt with Mike Lang and uh, Harvey Weinstein. And when there's time sometime, we'll talk about Mike Lang and my honeypot wife was put in place that she went back to him on my birthday. Mike Lang, Miramax Films. Disney was the one that started the whole intellectual process ball rolling rip off of it and used it, made it into a whole intellectual process. And Mike Lang's uh, was Harvey Weinstein's boss. Film, film tracks, uh, Miramax Films was all about laundering what they call the Disney library. The Disney library in a Vanity Fair article shows that it's actually a New Jersey warehouse. It sounds pretty shady. With hard copy scripts in the early 90s, that's exactly what this is, early 90s, can't get much earlier than that. And in there is all these scripts they want to own, they don't, and the strategy has boiled down to Mike Lang's strategy, came in place in 1993 when I submitted, that he is going to wait for authors to die, and then they, through their connections to the court, get the work under their names and get it that way. So that's the... That's, deadly as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, that's what they do. They want the authors to commit suicide from being destroyed, quote, and I have contacts telling me all the time. But now, guys, I'm being told that when I tape this, actually, a contact calling me, saying that connected to Disney, saying that you've won the chess game. You um, have the power now, and they're afraid of your power. And I'm like, what? You did interviews. And just like you pointed out, Mike, in the beginning, how many interviews have been disrupted? Go to the site and see how many have been blacked out. 
And Sophia Stewart actually called and said when uh, Red Pill 78 site was struck, Sarah Westalls was struck, Michael Yakos was struck. We had like 178,000 views in a week and people were getting it. Red Pill, all kinds of stuff coming in. And they were struck. Who calls me that very day they're struck? Sophia Stewart to say their sites are struck. She called to gloat and make it clear. She wants to, they want to exercise their power. Their flaw is ego, ego. But Hollywood is reinventing itself. But some have made a very bad error of exposing the trail. It's almost like that old school movie, uh, Fight Club, where what's the rule in Fight Club? We all know the rule in Fight Club. So what happens is Mike Lang broke it. Mike Lang took the honeypot wife to his place on my birthday, sent an email, and we have the email with a shaving kit on a bed in the big L outside Lang's on Howard on uh, Spokane, Washington Playground in Hollywood saying, Becca, move in with me for 60 days, question mark. And she did. She left her son, left me, and went to Mike Lang, called her, called his assets back in for instant success in Spokane, Washington. When that, was it? When was this, Tom? That was in 2016. It left oh. a trail right back to uh, Disney and Eisner, and he broke the rule. You don't talk about Fight Club. You don't reveal the trail. He did. Now, what's interesting, it goes much deeper. Mike Lang has a double. So I'm not saying cloned. I'm saying Mike Lang <laughs> oh as a Mike Lang connected to Disney. They Reality is stranger than fiction, I'll tell you it, this. It is. It is. They want to craft. They, they're bored. What really comes down to they're bored. They want to stimulate their lives. They want to make life more interesting. So they latch on to certain parties that are actually creative to make that happen. Throw us, as they say, throw us into our own films. They are trying to play God and goddess. And that's what they do. And they play with your lives, supply you wives, kill your children, whatever, to basically bleed the bear and have your material. Now the talk is, I've had paparazzi telling me, that there are dangerous people in Hollywood that are for you, Tom, and working to change and reinvent Hollywood to a new Hollywood. So apparently I'm supposed to be unveiled in the new Hollywood and rights returned. That's what they're talking about. So you're talking about factions that don't always agree. When we came forward and started talking, when my team came forward and started talking about what was actually going on with Disney after Mike Lang, thank God he told us, and a contact said he did it for his ego. He wanted to be better than the writer. He has his wife in bed. Big deal, take her, put a bag on her head, you can have her. But the thing is that the reason they're doing that is ego. It sends the trail back. Then Disney had to do a clearinghouse thing. Fox got nervous. MGM got nervous. Everybody got nervous all of a sudden. You'll start to see a slew of sellout back to the mothership, Disney, who started all this intellectual property stuff. You can almost hear them at the boardroom going, it's going to be okay. It'll be all right. They'll never get away with it. They'll never be able to do anything about it. And if they sue, we'll just settle with them and it'll be fine if they survive our gauntlet of hell. But the thing is that actually, and they call it good business, actually the, the transactions were so quick. Like I think it was um, MGM or it was um, Fox or whatever, sold out to Disney, back to Disney for like a 10 minute transaction. Half was cash, half was credit. But they were trying to get free of dirty hands because all the studios were drunk on this particular piece right here. And that's what I'm told. And that's why you have the copyright guys with the, um, just the title, no body of work with all the titles to create slots to steal it when I'm dead. I didn't die. I've been hauled off many times on 302s, which is suspected of going to commit mass murder, right? And you just have to be suspected. Now, let me entertain you a moment with this and I'll send it back over to you guys. Do you guys have share screen? Uh, I can give you ability to share screen. You want to see this. You want to see okay. this. I think Bear will like this too. And I think one thing too we should get into is, well, one, how long have you been at this fight? Since 1999? I would call it more like how I've been trying to survive and keep my last son alive. 
fight. It's more like I was on a soccer field tied to the stake without allowed to play and they're blowing the whistle and scoring balls because I'm not allowed to even move a muscle. So, so it's more like you're in Afghanistan, you're buried to your head in the I'm ground and they're I am throwing rocks at you. Right and left. It's Smith versus Smith. And so what's going to happen is um, the fight's coming. The fight's coming. The documentary is going to open that door. But can, I want to show you this graphic, though. I think wow. you're going to like this. I want to show you something where Spielberg is the main player in this with Disney. Spielberg and Disney. That's why they're getting- Well, we know Spielberg money. has the creepiest ties to- um, you know, dare I, I'll say it, pedo stuff. He yeah. always has young boys featured in his screenplays. The The whole thing with um, uh, Indiana Jones and, mm -hmm. and the, the insiders uh, uh, pre-chat production chats that came out, uh, the production notes where they're talking about right. Indy is actually uh, with the love interest there. You know, she was supposed to be really underage when he first takes advantage of her. And then he comes back and she's like, I can't believe you came back, what you did to me. And then they had production notes where they make in Indiana jones a pedophile right i mean well, there this is some creepy stuff and my kid used to love uh because he wants to be a film director and he's right. going to be part of the new system and he's only eight and he loves film and he loved he all the spielberg movies and he knows about not the dark darkness of it but he knows spielberg's a weirdo now and he's kind of awakened to that spielberg's because, directly related to my family in a sense tied because um his main man is ben burt right if you look at the credits for anything from you name it it's ben burt gets top billing ben burt Ben Burt is the um, cousin of my rotten brother's he's, you know, wife. So he's directly related. And what happens is uh, he actually gets Disney contracts. The only, Disney, the only contracts my brother gets as an architect is Disney ones, the Sheraton, low, low bone ones, low throw bone ones uh, from Disney World. And then he actually has listed as best friend, senior writer for Warren Brothers. My brother is so sold out, he wants me dead. And uh, he has made that no, nothing hidden about that. And so you have this whole situation where FBI is involved with my sister. Brian Fitzpatrick is an FBI congressman, lifelong FBI and a congressman who just happened to come from Wilkshire Boulevard in California out to Pennsylvania to, represent, to handle my sister. And my sister got turned and now my brother and my sister are trying to finish us off. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how deep this goes. My dad was just killed, starved to death by my sister as there's POA begging her to let him go out of this hospice care when there's nothing wrong with him my mom losing it so yeah it's how deep it goes with all the with the family members involved is this some kind of a mk ultra going on or, or how, how is everybody getting turned here rewards rewards and honors i have a contact uh -huh. at disney actually on tape saying your sister went for rewards and threats rewards and threats and that's mm -hmm. what it is i mean she gets black tie dinners trips to the caribbean same place that trudeau's guy trudeau went you've got her going to london she's on she's an unlicensed elementary school counselor and yet she's got this she had a mansion maid service she got to trips cnn appearances owned by warner brothers jimmy fallon show black tie dinners trips you name it president of psych people in pennsylvania she's not licensed uh top person in psych person in pennsylvania not licensed and with uh, fitzpatrick all the time so Brian Fitzpatrick's used up is in this Ukraine situation too. So anyway, that's how deep this goes. It is Disney with Spielberg really at the top calling the shots of what's happening in all this horror. They didn't want that to be known, but Mike Lang, thank God, shed the light on it with why? I asked the same contact, why do you do it? His ego, that's why I took Becca to bed. Now, if you go down, uh, it gets even better. Pat Robertson that was involved in all this stuff, religious right connected to Disney, he actually had an a restaurant opened in uh, Virginia Beach's area called My Becca after this was done, after the honeypot was left. That's how stupid they are. But yeah, if I can go to this graphic, let me show you guys this graphic. Can you share screen? Yeah, you should be, you should be able to share now. 
All right, let me go to share screen. I think you're gonna enjoy this. Okay, desktop share. Okay, can you see my screen? Yes. Okay, here we go, here's Spielberg. All right, this is from Minority Report. I'm gonna pull up two here. Minority Report. Okay, Minority Report is done, I think in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. Now, remember that name? And that was from, um, that was from a, uh, Philip K. Dick. Yeah, but it's um, Spielberg's job. Yeah, but I'm just saying that the source material was Philip K. Dick, right? Okay, very good. So, yeah. well, look at this, look at this uh, headline here. This is, a, of course, a split second, right, guys? A split second. Can you see what that says in the split second? And I'll explain what it means. Spielberg puts this graphic in the film. Now, what is the film about? Tom Cruise plays this character, right? Dealing with pre-crime, right? And so if you're going to commit a pre-crime, you're hauled off like a 302 and put in stasis, correct? Mm -hmm. So what happens is uh, Tom Cruise's character is what? Captain John Anderton. Thank you, Spielberg. Captain is my dad's rank in the Navy. John is his name. Anderton is our Scottish clan name changed with a T from Anderson. Way to go, Spielberg. And what is going on here? Why is Tom Cruise going to be put away in stasis on pre-crime? Because his son has been murdered. What's his son's name? Sean. What was my son's name that was killed after this was put out? Sean. So there's my dad's name and rank. Our Scottish clan name tweaked. Sean, the son who is killed. And what they do after Sean was killed said that I should be put away for pre-crime because I'm going to commit murder. Does it get any clearer than that? Wow. If you don't mind, um, and I know this is a sensitive subject going into how your sons, uh, you said you had two sons that were murdered. And if you, yes. if this is too sensitive to talk about. No, 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 no. It has to be told. I have okay. to tell what's going because on. Because as, my... as a father of two sons myself and, and Bear is a father of two sons, this uh, hits home pretty hard. Okay. Let me stop share. All right. No, I, I have to talk about it. Now, one thing, you know, the other side uses talking points, right? They harass, they belittle, they, they use shills to come in. And that's what we said Sophia Stewart is. They have a new one coming in since Sophia Stewart lost face from Marvel Comics now. And he's been hitting hard. And they wanted to do a joint venture where they would like do a blend of Immortals and Cypher Man. Well, that's not going to work. That doesn't show anybody anything. Well, because they just put out the Immortals, which is a comic book. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, comic so they're, 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 they're trying to go past the point. I was supposed to be dead by Christmas. And that's when the release of Matrix 4 was. They always use holidays. I think, Barry, you know this. They use holidays as a, a percussion point to try to make it hit home harder, right? When did, when did Mike Lang right. take Becca to bed? On my birthday, July 2nd, right? We saw all the emails. So as far as the sons, here's what he did. Of course, they have to tie in movie imagery, right? Movie imagery. Now, keep in mind, the talking point is Tom has no feelings. He's a narcissist. That's what they'll say about me. That's what Sophia Stewart's supposed to say. That's what Becca was supposed to say. You know, no feelings. I have a lot of feelings. And it's hard to keep it together with emotions over this topic. I'm going to try. But they would say he doesn't even care. He doesn't care about his sons. That's what Sophia Stewart would say to try to rile me. So that's what, that's what your job is to do. So here it goes. Sean. My son is killed. How? Well, they use a contact to let me know that there was a reason how it's killed, how he was killed. He's killed by a snowplow. They said it's X-Files. So he is not put into a movie for his death. He's killed after I'm run down by a car in Canada when Joel Silver is afraid about Albert Carbon being revealed. Alder when was Carbon. it? When was this? What time? This is when Albert Carbon came out. When I think it's like 2017. Oh, so and this so, isn't that long ago. Not long ago at all. 
I had been run down by a car and then Sean and Aiden, my other son that's surviving, got on the phone together and said, we're going to see this through, dad. You stay alive, stay safe. Sean's saying, I'm proud of you, dad. That's a no-no. You're not supposed to say that. The other side doesn't like that. He wasn't with me. He was in Pennsylvania, controlled. And so what happens is he's starting to spiel. I think I remember what happened with Robertson's group. There was a whole programming thing that was done with what's called social workers, where they're supposed to believe their dad was evil. And unless they did it, they would not stop the sessions. And that was done to them. And so he was starting to remember. It actually worked. They didn't remember. And now he's starting to remember. And so he's saying, drive safe, dad, be safe. Aiden, you and I will make the movie. We'll make this out. These are sons trying to do what they can after all this injustice has been done and all our rights taken away. And incidentally, after all the rights were taken away, they announced all these different projects and the different defendants. Uh, Joel Silver announced Oblivion held by Disney uh, for him. And uh, the Wachowskis announced Sunset saying it was too big to write down. They couldn't write anything down. They got the million dollar deal with uh, Netflix, which the attorneys for Warner Brothers went over to Netflix. Million dollar deal, no other contestants. And instantly that's Wachowskis. Warner Brothers get to do uh, Elysium through Greg Silverman, Joel Silver's prodigy after Robinoff sent to China with a 30 film deal. There are no national boundaries. We are in a one world society now where it's all about big business and elite and money. They run the world. The boundaries in these wars are just illusion. They are shows put on, puppet shows, basically is what's going on. The elite control the world. And so what happens is my son tells, tells that conversation saying, I'm proud of you, dad, be safe on the highways. And he's and, killed. And how, how, how old was he? He was in his thirties. And so he's, he's a mild manner guy. He was driving his um, SUV and he's killed by a snow plow. What happens? He's waved over into oncoming to go into a snow plow. He's waved over and the snow plow is just sitting there. They never released the driver in the article. You can look it up, Sean Althaus. Um, Where was this? Sean Althaus, you look up S-H-A-U-N Althaus, you'll see the obituary for him where it describes this. They do not say the driver of the snow plow. They won't say it. Where, uh, where, so, where was this? Where did this happen? Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Okay. And so what happens is you have a situation where um, you see the pictures finally. They never let me talk, to, never let me see anything. They cremated them. And they show a picture finally of the door dented in on the passenger side, just dented in. How was that instant death for my son who just warned me about driving carefully when he drives careful himself and being safe on the highways? Now it gets worse, Kirk. Kirk Althouse, right? And incidentally, keep in mind, Saving Private Ryan. Who's, who's involved in that? Spielberg again. Now and that's Tom a, Hanks, right? Is Tom that's right. Now that's yes, the his good buddy, Tom. Their good buddy, yeah. Tom, who was supposed to be my mentor. Ellen Gear, who's a good woman out in California at Will Gear Theater. And of course, Tom but, has all the connections with Disney. That's right. So what happened was Spielberg creates a fictitious story centered around real life events, all right? So all these names are fictitious. So what's the names of the character he chooses for the brothers that are killed? He really rubs the salt in. Sean, loves to use Sean. And what was my other son's name? Kirk Daniel. Daniel is the name of their son. He's just rubbing it in. <laughs> so what happens is you, and you're told by context, this is what he's doing. That graphic I showed you, how do I know that's there? You're informed. They want you to know. What is the plausibility of it? You know? being put away on 302s. Five times I've been hauled off by SWAT team that work for the FBI. So what happens is it's the FBI, Brian Fitzpatrick, FBI, lifelong FBI operative, congressman handling the sister. FBI works with Hollywood, 
and they all are under the banks. The banks run the show. That's why the investment firms should be telling, own the copyright in the end, because the banks are what really run our world. And what's interesting about the banks is they bet on the winning player and they will change horses if those winning players look better than the others and start to take the lead. Therefore, the other side is desperate right now that the banks won't want to bet on me and others with me because I'm making too much sense and the evidence is too clear and they're starting to jump out of windows. So the thing is that really the real power is banks, FBI, Hollywood. And so what you got is, yeah, Bank of England and also American Federal Reserve, things like that all these players, and then you get in the mafias and things like that. That's what runs our country, sadly enough. And incidentally, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Incidentally, if our world, or if our country was ever overrun, I would venture that Man in the High Castle has it right. It's actually the mafia that would be our best chance to be, keep fighting. They're the ones that'd be best equipped and best situated to fight in a, a covert way. Interesting. Well, the mafia, interestingly, also needs a population to do business where another faction of the cabal um, just wants to get rid of everybody. So it is an interesting dichotomy there. Yeah. So you have a, um, a documentary in the making. Is that true? Yes. With an incredible team. And get this. They've been approached so many times. We just I went out to Arizona and did a documentary shoot. And I kid you not, guys, after I did the shoot, the main uh, cinematographer, really great guy, really thorough job. In fact, a lot of the team came into the room where we were filming my cuts and were there to watch. I said, this must be boring for you to come in and just watch these cuts being made. Like, no, we want to be here. We want to be here. It's fascinating. And so they came in and were watching. And the cinematographer, one of his loved ones, was killed as soon as they had filmed. And um, they left a doorstep message for him to make sure they knew he knew that it was murder. And they do this. They leave things on your doorstep. This is part of how they work. They want to show that they have the resources and the power to coordinate over thousands of miles and lay things on exact times and interrupt signals at exact times. Before I came on this program today with you guys, right before I went to push the link, it disappeared from my emails. It disappeared. These guys have control of all securities, basically, uh, tech. You look at the film companies, they own everything. Joel Silver got a top uh, pharmaceutical and oil in Canada, thanks to Trudeau whose playboy works with Hollywood. And so what you got is uh, Warner Brothers owns CNN. They own all kinds of things from you name it, from investments to you know, securities to you name it. Disney owns ABC and ABC News. What are film companies doing owning news networks, owning pharmaceuticals, owning oil, owning securities, owning computer systems, owning telephonics? They also own AT&T. What is going on? I thought there was some kind of control on monopolies. When they went for a, when Warner Brothers went for AT and T, they couldn't believe it. They said that they got through without any opposition. We have become a dumbed down world. We're letting these guys own everything, and who polices them themselves? When my case was thrown in Rankin, that Tony Rankin had done anything under the sun to throw it, everything under the sun, from the unsuspended license as you saw to everything else, no deposition, no discovery, everything. In fact, when he was fired. Within a half hour after he's fired, he told Warner Brothers to proceed for motion for summary judgment without objection. You're fired. You can't tell them to proceed for motion summary judgment without objections. We had no objections we can enter for summary judgment. Another part of the circus. And yeah. what did the Bar Association do in California? The Bar Association polices itself. So the Bar Association in California, this female uh, judge, said that we're not going to give in anything on uh, uh, Tony Rankin for anything he did. We'll just send him a letter. It's for your eyes and his eyes only. 
That's exactly what Tony Rankin was doing during our case with Warner Brothers. They were trying to say that any discovery would be for attorney's eyes only, not for me, not for judge, and not for jury. They stipulated that. And I said, I won't agree to it. They said it in any way. It's a yeah. circus. Wait till you see how just that breaks down. Well, the bar association goes back to the crown in the UK and they're all corporations. corporation. They're all corporations, right? And they're all right. dead, right. living dead that are all go back to BlackRock and Vanguard right. and the dark, um, you know, Jesuit order, all this stuff. It's like 12 people at the top. That's right. It's <laughs> all- the, the, yeah. um, so, but but this is the thing I wanted to say, Tom. This, this, and this is, I know the chat's going off and it, and this is an amazing story and you have really been put through the ringer and I just want to give you mad props for it. This is a spiritual, in the end, this is a spiritual war. This is a, uh, and, and we've, we've understood coming out and doing our show, what we're, we're, you know, Bears put his head on the chopping block a lot with his career as a, as a bioterrain uh, practitioner. And really what I, you know, what I always focus on every morning is putting a sphere of protection from and and bear and i have our own you know spiritual practice and in, in about this but we really believe if you're tapped in in the right mentality and the right spiritual flow you will be protected we had david icon last monday i believe that man has been protected for decades and and that being so the other strategy that i really think is key now is going into the private is not interplaying with any of their nonsense yeah. anything yeah. Anything yeah. to do with Hollywood, anything to do with the banks, anything to do with those corporations, we do it ourselves yes. on our in our own realm, and yeah. we do we are completely out of the out of the scope of them. Yeah. Yes, that's the answer. That's the answer. I didn't even talk about well, the you know the yeah. I was just going to say the real life matrix is it's a mental plane, and it was always foretold that the final battle would be on the mental plane. So we're entrapped uh, in a mental matrix. But this other predator class, um, you know, they do not have the, the ability anymore to access the heart, which animates the entire matrix in the first place, their whole mental construct. So they need us for the energy, for the engine, for their whole construct. Right. So what we're finding out, a lot of us right now, is we if we are the engine, if we withdraw ourselves from that, just as Mike is saying, we're in the process now of uh, teaching people how to stay in the private, not go into that mental fiction. And, uh, you know, they're a done deal. People like yourself that are exposing through, you know, uh, horrible ordeals that you've had to endure. Uh, it is nevertheless, I think on another level, you've agreed probably to, you know, play this role in order to start red pilling more of the population so that right. we can right. withdraw our energy and this whole thing will have no ability to animate itself anymore. So, um, you know, just maybe that's a, a good segue as far as where you see this is going, what timeline we're on. Of course, right now they're trying to drag us into World War Three. I thought, ah, they're really not going to try to do that. It's just another distraction in the storyline. But, you know, yesterday, you know, somebody makes a. I'm being uh, I'm talking in code here because we'll get struck off of a douche tube, you know, if I say too much. But, you know, somebody makes an impassioned speech to uh, Congress and now. Republican, Democrat, everybody's on board to send missiles and planes. And so it's just like this really cheesy Hollywood production yeah. that only the yeah. dumbest of the dumb don't see through anymore. So I'm hoping that uh, they're on their last legs right now. What do you think? Well, I can tell you there's so many layers to this. There's so many different things like you hit 
red pill. What is red pill and blue pill? Where does it come from? And that kind of thing was a big topic. I think it might blow your mind. Also, what's happening with this war stuff? And what is the real agenda? What's actually happening? Big topic, like to answer that. Also the idea of um, uh, the screenplay, like they say they're putting us in our, my, my own movie. They didn't create the material, but they want the source material. So that's why they've courted me and stabbed me and courted me and stabbed me at the same time. And now they say the real life story that I have is bigger than the Matrix itself. And so they wanna own me at the same time. So I'm put into a push pull me situation where it's either I uh, forsake the public and people that are true warriors like yourselves, or I go and uh, keep my last son safe and take the offers that are big offers. And it's like, they wanna own source material. They didn't come up with the concept, I did. And the thing is that I have a copyright and proven everything else. And they were gonna take that copyright out of the office and mix it in for eight pages scribble notes, quote, eight page scribble notes. Those things you saw with those entries that they can put into the copyright office with titles only, no body of work. Those same players can be the ones that take this body of work out of a slot and put in eight pages of scribble notes, game over. They, they didn't succeed because they learned to be bragging and had me jump on that. As far as our country right now, what's going to happen? What, as far as I know, it's like that old film, Baron von Munstein or whatever it was. They have already agreed on what the outcome's gonna be, who's gonna get what and what the players are gonna do. And that's already agreed on. And the, the idea is that the US is going to lose. They're gonna do a war. Those players that have sold us out, that are traitors to all the men and women that have given their blood and their dearest blood to make this country free are gonna sell them out in order to have this country fall. So they, it's like burning the house down to get rid of all the evidence. When building seven was pulled, as they said it was pulled. They were getting rid of records. So right now they wanna do it on a, on a nationwide scale, get rid of records. They can have a plausible deniability. There's no records left. They've done that in our court cases. They're gonna do that again. So what they're gonna do is the elite in this country are gonna be safeguarded uh, protected and the rest of the population is going to suffer and be eliminated. That's one of the plans, except for those of us that are worth something or have some kind of value you know, numerically or creatively, they're going to try to own us or get this, have a certain look they want, because that's also just like Dr. Strangelove. I know it sounds like I'm ranting, but actually this is it. This is it. They actually want beautiful people to be part of themselves, multiple wives. This is a wet dream fantasy they've set up for a long time. The elite want it. They want a utopia on earth and they want to start getting rid of what they consider the fat. And so what they're going to do is the idea is to have a war that this country is involved in that we lose to. They've already agreed. They're traitors. Fitzpatrick and the rest are traitors already making agreements that the other side's going to win. But they'll be shouting and spreading tears and cheering us on while we go to our deaths and acting like they're the heroes and just, oh, we lost, just like they do in the court cases. Oh, we're gonna win this, we're gonna fight for you. No, they're not. They've already got your back with a knife to it and they're gonna finish you off. So that's what's going on. Now, the thing that breaks their back is it being revealed and people believing what's going on. Critical thinking, evidence, check it out. In my case, redpillrising.org, if you can get to it, check it out. Also, yeah. also, Tom, there's a whole revolution of decentralization breaking free. Like I, from the very first alpha cast back in 2017, I talked about the real breakaway civilization, which is us, mm -hmm. which is us. And that being said, we'll put your site up on Cordal. If you're yeah. worried about your site ever, it'll never go down and it's yeah. free to host. This and is a project that I'm in and it's already up. So we can put your website up on Cordal and nobody can ever take it down. Good. So, um, you know what's interesting too, Mike, is that um, you just fed me right to it. And it, I think it goes back to one of Bear's questions is that in the screenplay, you have not only the storyline that they were lifting, but also the tech. Neural links in here, iPads in here, you have a Surrey in here, all is in here. And it's interesting stories at some point we can do it. 
uh, where these come from and why they're in here that's integral to the story to push it along. Why is Surrey in there? What happens? That kind of stuff. Also, the idea is that the one world order is inevitable. The Neo counterpart in this story that they took is actually saying that the one world order is going to happen. There's no way to stop it now in our time. So therefore, let's try to make it a good one. Let's try to make it so the program is available to all. That's what he's fighting for. And now they're starting to come forward and say, this is an idea brand new and giving credit to whoever they want in-house to say it. No, this is from the screenplay from 1993, conceived in 1991. So the thing is like that has been there all along. Now they're saying that, yeah, there's a one more order is going to happen. Now we can make it a good one. That's what we're talking about. That's And that's what I wanted to get to on the whole point of them stealing this from you, besides the, the need to and the loose sucking and they can't even create their own. How did they manipulate and change from your version? Um, and what was the end? Like, what was the dark magic behind that and pushing? Because we know Matrix is one of the most referenced movies in the quote unquote awake community. It's, it's a great analogy for reality in many ways. I mean, and all that stuff. So what did they change and why? And um, also, I haven't seen the fourth one. I haven't been compelled to see it. I, I mean, I kind of want to see it just for curiosity's sake. But, um, but I haven't even been compelled to see it, which is shocking because I loved the first Matrix. The second two, I was never into. Um, but I'm just curious, like what, why, like, what is the black magic going on? What did they shift and change? I know we've already covered some of it, but I'd love to go deeper into that. Let's look at this. It's such a great question. Oh my God. So yeah, let's look at some of these things. Transgender. What's transgender from? It's from the screenplay. Where's red pill, blue pill from the screenplay. Where's Neuralink from the screenplay. Where's Jackson neck from the screenplay. All this stuff is from the screenplay. Where's bullet time from the screenplay. There's 190 matchup growing. We're still discovering more. So what about like, you know, what they changed the red pill, blue pill. Let's look at that black magic twist. Red pill, blue pill. What they do is they, they, as they make it up as they go along, they draw from what they're familiar with, with their shallow minds. And I'm going to say it's shallow minds. Let's watch that bound interview. Like I said, you'll get the idea of how they think. So anyway, they could have picked better people to steal it. Anyway, so what happens is you've got blue pill, red pill. Where's it coming from? Well, they have it from the Alice in Wonderland fill-in. As they make it up as they go along, script in one hand, storyboard in the other. The image is cool, so they have it. They mix in Alice in Wonderland. Same with the train station scene. They put the train man in from Ghost. Why? Why would you put the train man in from Ghost? It doesn't work. It doesn't propel the story. It ruins the story. But they put it in because their shallow minds are making it up as they go along, wanting to just get credit for the imagery, saying let audiences figure it out for themselves. Again, I'm sorry I talk so fast. It's just that it's, this is my baby. And so what happens is with red pill, blue pill, when Neo is offered the pill, he's not offered this. This makes no sense. He's offered this, the red pill. It is the elite offering him a red pill. And if he doesn't take that red pill, he and his family are going to die. So he has no choice but to take the red pill to end the program. That's for the elite. Isn't it interesting that the elite, when they steal the script, make the red pill good? Isn't it interesting that they make it that it was some kind of choice you had to take the red pill? That's not a choice, red pill. It wasn't supposed to be that way. The blue pill was the good pill. The reason the blue pill is the good pill is that the blue pill appears later in the screenplay when he contacts his former guy that he had uh, been in the agency with. He had been a low-level CIA, FBI operative or head of department. That's what Neo actually was. And they actually have a spinoff with, um, oh, I forget his name, um, where he plays uh, Jim Reese. The actual name of Neo is Jim Reese in the original work. They have Jim Reese. If you look up Jim Reese, it's in a, a thing where he plays a lower echelon CIA department head and he's in Paris and something like that. And he's running around. They actually used up that part of the story. So when Keanu Reeves is looking at the script on set, he's reading Jim Reese and he had to use it. But the thing is that blue pill is what his counterpart gives him, his actual friend gives him 
so he can be after he's cut from the program. So he's cut from the program, the red pill is taken away, cut from the program, tracked underground, he's given a blue pill. That has bad side effects, but they have to have these painful side effects in order to work within the program with the blue pill. Isn't that interesting? So you can see now the Wachowski's minds, they're lifting the images they think are cool, put it together into an Alice Wonderland scenario, blue pill, red pill, eat me, drink me. That's what they did. So the blue pill is serenity and good, the red pill is bad. But we're, our, what has our society done? Exactly what the deep state said to do. Converted it. Right. Exactly. So that's an answer. So in your up. in the, the original context of your script, the blue pill, what is the end effect of that? Because in the movie, the idea is it's just taking it to stay in the matrix and be ignorant and be one yeah. of the, yeah. basically be one of the useless eaters or the profane. And then the red. Yeah, why would they even option that? Look, you just made a good point, Mike. Why not do this? Here's a red pill. You can take it or not take it and remain where you are. Why are you going to offer a blue pill? That sounds like one of those things that's like a sugar pill. It doesn't do any good. A placebo or whatever. It's like, you don't need it in their storyline. But if you put it back the way it was, you need a blue pill. If you're cut from the red pill program, you need a blue pill to get into it. And Underground hasn't perfected yet. I think that's a more interesting story that you have to take something that's painful in order to continue. Well, Much and- more interesting. It makes way more sense. So where is uh, where was Keanu with all this? Um, how enlightened is he to what's going on? Oh, exactly man, this is a big one here. He yeah, I want to exactly, hear this, Tom. He knows exactly what's going on. I have a best friend of his as a contact. And there was negotiations going back and forth where he's being made offer. As soon as she said immortals to him, he freaked out. He knows exactly what's going on. The Wachowski tried to rope him in and like dirty his hands and make him part of the problem, like a thief. And so what happens, Keanu Reeves, apparently, as it goes, he wasn't apt to steal it at first. But when they had cameras going, ready to go, and he actually saw the script on set, he had no choice. Everybody's waiting to film. So he's roped in. But then he got into it. He decided to hang with his biker friends, do the drugs, biker friends, this kind of stuff. FBI got involved, too. And he decided to party. He decided not to do the right thing. But for a moment, he was thinking of actually doing the right work, coming forward, because he was getting into this Japanese shogun uh, philosophy. And it's like being truthful and that kind of stuff and, and being um, honorable and that kind of thing. So he was getting there where he was actually going to consider doing the actual script. Wow. And you know, you know, we were talking about Owen Benjamin at the beginning of the show before we hit record for those in the podcast listening. You, there was a little pre chat there that's on the stream, but Owen did an entire show on Keanu because oh, oh, I really love Owen for this because he always is like, there's no sacred cows, especially coming yeah. from Hollywood. And yeah. he did a whole breakdown. This is so trippy, you guys, that oh, that Keanu might be the original trans transgender. And because um, he would dressed up in drag really early in his career and is really pretty. And then so how trippy is that? Like the transgender thing comes back again. If you know, I, I highly recommend that stream Owen did because that rocked my mind because Keanu has been recently in the news, you know, coming out, challenging China, you know, and and these things. And a lot of people see him as the one kind of white rabbit or that you know the 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 sheep the black sheep of hollywood that he is truly um you know ethical uh, and i wonder if he's got like a dorian gray type painting in his basement that is aging and he's not you know that maybe that's what he's getting out of this because the guy you know, doesn't seem um, to age at all well they just i, hit I have a distinct good there no, I was going to say, I have an interesting memory where I was watching an award show when the Matrix, I, I forget what it won, but when they were showing the clip of the Matrix, they panned a Keanu in the audience 
And as uh, the show was showing, uh, or the clip was showing the two hands, you know, with the red and the, and the blue pill, do you remember that? Yeah. Kano's in the audience parroting the words like he's, uh, you know, really into this whole script, like it's a real thing there. So I remember, I, I, you know, I don't know what to make of it still, but I remember watching him and it's like, wow, there, there's something going on with this dude. He's, uh, he, he's really taking this pretty seriously out in the audience there. So, uh, yeah, I just always had a fascination with where he's at with everything. Well, here's something. I'm going to drop a bomb, I think. Um, what's interesting mm -hmm. is, what's the Good. title of the work? Here's the title of the work. The title is The Immortals, right? You verse the letters mm -hmm. around basically at Matrix. They're into that. In fact, Sati's Brittany. Brittany's the one at the train station. Mm -hmm. And they, you, I sent you the clip of the, um, or the still the, the train station scene with Brittany and the stuff in it. So they changed it to Sati. But the thing is that um, what's interesting is the immortals is about uh, in our time, the one world society coming to be in our time, right? And it has the historic figure that does this the, and they mock me for it all the time. The one that is the most plausible historic figure to make it work was Hitler. So they say it's about Hitler and Christ. Tom Singer's about Hitler and Christ. No, it's not. The thing is that the architect, they just call him the architect because Diane Bellis, the actual head of the story department said, no one's gonna be interested in Hitler at the time. Then Shinnosis comes out. But the thing is that, you know, so they just called him the architect. That's why they just call him the architect. I think it's more cool to have an actual character from history that makes sense tied to it, but that's what they used to mock me. But here's the rub, here's the deal. In it, they have solved immortality, the aging process. And now that's what they're gonna form the one world society by offering world leaders, the program, immortal program. You no longer age, your family no longer age, or longevity is now a thing of our time. And now you're seeing it come out more and more. What did, what did uh, Joel Silver rip off? Alter carbon. What's it about? The rich in the future have immortality, the poor is used as pawns. What's my screenplay open up with a story treatment? The rich have immortality, the poor is used as pawns. They're saying it's the greatest sci-fi concept ever. Really, Joel Silver? You had all my notes and discovery and everything else. I had nothing from you, but now you're gonna rip it off that way and run me down with a car and then kill my son? or have your parties do it, connected to Mossad. So what happens is with FBI controlling police, the idea is that in our time, Stanford, IBM, they are saying they are solving the immortal problem. They are solving that problem of aging. I say in my uh, story treatment that they beat the greatest enemy, man's greatest enemy, woman's greatest enemy, death. So what happens is in our time, they're actually doing it. And so now the one world society is coming about and looks like certain people aren't aging, you betcha. You betcha. I was contacted by an organization that said they wanted to give me the red batch that they, because I wrote this thing, they know I did. They want to include me. I have been in a love hate relationship with Hollywood on and on and on. Do we kill them? Do we take them? And factions wanting either way at the same time. So what they want is source under their control. They don't want word out unless they get credit for it. They have insiders like Elon Musk, Snowden, Sophia Stewart, uh, the people from Marvel Comics, all these people claiming credit for stuff they didn't do. John Rappaport, claiming credit for stuff they didn't do. So they don't just take your work, they take the ideas and give it, the tech give it to others that they groomed. Where does Elon Musk appear? In, in Iron Man 2. What happens in Iron Man 2? They go to the Indy or the uh, Grand Prix or whatever it is, and you see a cameo of Elon Musk standing there at a table and uh, Iron Man's going, you know, um, oh my God, you know, it's, it's Elon Musk. You know, what does that do for the story? And it's like, yeah, I'm getting the table right next to him, basically, idea. And then he goes off. Elon Musk is molded, groomed by Hollywood. He is in place to take credit for tech that he didn't create. And he's supposed to be our Einstein of the time or our Tesla of the time. He is a fake 
and he's put in place to take the work. He can't even explain the work. But if you go back, I'm sorry to get hardcore. No, like thank this. you for saying this because I've been saying this for years about Elon well, Musk. Well, thank you. Go back to the original work where Neuralink comes from, and it explains all the ramifications and everything good and bad in it, like Library of Memories, which Nolan, Christopher Nolan, wanted to use in um, Interstellar. All that's being used up, but that is all from here, including the bad things involved. What happens if you have a neural link and you can now download memories? Well, you can you can launch to masses the same thoughts at the same time, where you're becoming dependent on thinking on it. No longer is thinking a discipline or a muscle memory. It's now something dependent. Where in our screenplay, Neo actually pulls from Smith the the uh, back of the neck enhancer, and he becomes a babbling idiot because he's been used to that. They didn't use that, but they use it later. Where? Elysium. And so they use it and they even cut it out with a shard of glass like they do in my screenplay. And so who is in Elysium? Ma Matt Damon, right? That's right. And what was he shown? No script, just a visual storyboard. That's how they, they're too lazy to even write it down. What did, what did Joel Silver do with Oblivion with Disney? As soon as in 2014, they threw our case with, I just described how badly, right? And as soon as they got their way, Joel Silver announces he's doing Oblivion. They were working on a novel for plausible source material, just like Ghost in the Shell 1994 entries, genderless female, Jack's the neck, all that being lifted from the work visually. So they taught Chosky's can say they want to do it for real. Lifted off that work. Joel Silver did that in length with that Japanese ripoff artist, director. And so what happens is that's what they do. So they don't even finish the Oblivion novel. Since they threw our case, they say they're not going to finish the novel. They're going right to the story. Is, are you, is it the, the wait, Oblivion, that's not the Tom Cruise movie you're talking about. Yes, it is. That was held by Disney for Joel Silver. Joel Silver's the only bidder. They held it for him. Disney held it. The father of intellectual property, Eisner, held it for Joel Silver. As soon as the case is thrown, he gives them oblivion. They don't even finish the novel. They say they're not going to finish it now. They don't need plausible source material because the author can't do anything about it. So that's why they just gave it to him and launched it right away. What's Oblivion's the name? a trippy one, too, because that's, uh, well, it has Tom Cruise, but that's all about cloning and trans in like once again weird transhumanism stuff like the That's last right. what it, do you uh, have robot like agents you have mm -hmm. this what are the names of the main characters jack and julia who are the main characters sold up at the fbi disney um spielberg jack and julia are my brother and sister that sold out they keep doing it what happens at the end little girl points to the son or points to her daddy the little girl looks exactly like my daughter terrace i mean my daughter terrace looks very unique very unique at the time and they made her look just like her, reprogrammed by Robertson's group. So now she trashes her dad. But the thing is, that's what they do. They do a good job on the reprogramming, the altercation, as Bear said. And they really do a good job, but these kids don't even remember it happening. But they end up hating their parents. So, yeah. So I, I, I'd like to go back to the immortality. And, and obviously, there it, it was ironic because uh, the controllers are trapped in your own inversion, thinking that they're going to get immortality and you're coming at it from the exact opposite direction of where it's actually going to work so what was your original concept in the script with neo breaking free from the matrix the original concept was that he it's it, it gets much more complex because the architect first of mm -hmm. all the architect is outdone by his son i thought again it was a much more interesting storyline but the Wachowskis are cheapening it uh simplifying everything getting under budget what happens is it's the architect's son wagner who actually contacts Neo to contact the underground to say a new world order, a better one's gonna come, I'm gonna take my father out, you know, you'll help me witness this. 
and the seamless walls where it looks like you're coming through the walls like ghosts coming through corridors that's in there too and he is taken to uh the uh architect's domicile uh hot skyrise through a, a thing that shuttle it links on through a, a, a window that makes a seamless opening door and then closes after he's at a hunger game stadium series where the poor are allowed to have a chance for the merit the program if they participate in hunger games is that something it's in there that's where it comes from that's where hunger games comes from it's all there that's why hollywood and bonaventure said this revolutionary they were, they were drunk on it so basically he takes out his father the architect and uses his chip the memories of his father, the identity, the feelings of his father, sensei, and puts it in the back of his neck and says, now we are one. So now he is no longer number two to his father. He's now number one in his father's place and then blames Neo for the death of his father. And, uh, you know, and that's where Neo gets cut from the program. So he's cut from the program. But in, before that, he is promoted. They always have counsel. I didn't like putting it in there. I thought it was stupid. I did. But all these programs have councils now. I hate it. From Walking Dead to Matrix, you name it, the council. It's so stupid. It throws everything down. It doesn't propel the story. I'm sad I put it in my work, but they get, they're drunk on anything I did. And so they put council. And so this council, there's a primary council and a secondary council. Secondary council is underground's council. Primary council is the council in the program. And so what happens is our Neo is promoted to primary council. The architect's looking out for him. Why? Why is the architect looking out for him? This is a long answer to your question, Bear, but I think it's a great question. Because the architect has one problem at stake here. One problem. He control the world. He knows where. They said it was six generations for Zion. It was one. Now they tell fans that fans were right. It's one. Yeah, that's right. Ask the original author of Wachowski's. It's one. The architect knows where underground is. He has those people set aside as untainted humanity for a special occasion, a special purpose. The architect's problem is in the program, not battery power. You can hook up cows and get a ton of power off cows. You don't have to worry about free will either at that point or so much free will, sad for the cows. But the thing is that the architect's mind could atrophy unless he's stimulated. If he's in a program, immortal program, his mind's gonna atrophy from lack of stimulation. So what's he gonna do? agents that stir up trouble outside the program, knowing all the choices we're going to make, free will. Which also talk about free will, they don't go any further. They don't know anything about it. They hand out books on Zen, but they don't know what they're talking about. They can't even explain it. In fact, one of the authors of the book said, they're not talking about anything we're talking about. So anyway, they don't know what they're talking about. But the architect has these agents stirring up trouble. He knows every free will choice we're going to make. He does not let Neo get taken out by Smith or Smith taken out by Neo on purpose because that stimulates his mind. Yet he makes Neo think that Smith rescued his daughter. That's what the satisfying ending is going to come about from a burning building when he's brought back to be mentored by Smith, which again, complexes, it makes it complex and stimulates the architect's mind. It's all about the architect's minds not dulling away. So what happens is at the end, you have the architect is promoted Neo to primary. Smith wants to take him out so bad. They finally have a confrontation. And in that he takes out the, the enhancer from, they put it in Elysium instead because Wachowski didn't use it, they couldn't let it go. And they use, Neo uses that enhancer to enter the elites district to change everything in the program. And that's what they kept for Elysium. Isn't that interesting? Make it into a big box on his back, which is totally asinine. Anyway, so what happened, <laughs> it is, it's totally stupid. Why would you walk around the big box? Is he covert? I don't know, it looks like a big box on the neck. So stupid, they overblow everything. And so what happens, it's supposed to be just like a mole-like structure on the back, right? Very, very subtle. And so that's the jacks of the neck. And so he's using the memories of Smith. What's Sensei about? 
using memories. You don't know what they're for, or who they're from, feeling the feelings of who felt what and what they did. Well, Neo is feeling on his way to find the dome. Yes, the dome from Germania. He's going to the dome with Trinity helping him. Why? Because he's supposed to handle all these feelings because he's now lost his own memories and feelings from that being pulled because it was diseased by the architect to go off at a certain time to track him. And he's using Smith's memories now. So he's fighting the feelings of what Smith felt when he harmed his family. That's why he's covered eyes and he's trying to go with him while well, he's fighting this feeling of feeling like Smith. Sense8 is not Wachowski's genius. It's their work after they had all my notes and discovery and they couldn't wait to take it and said it's too big to write down. BS on the Wachowskis. Wow. They lazy to write it down. T Tom, uh, there's so much to unpack here. We're going to have to do another show just to break. I, would, would you be able to send me a copy of this, your screenplay for me to read? Because I, I would love to read it. I don't know if that's possible. And then do another show where we go into it because there's so many reality breakdowns. And I have another quick, quick question, but the architect, I never really understood the architect in the yeah. original, in the films. Like, is it part of the program? Is it a separate entity from the movies? It seems like it's just, you know, part of the robot, you know, the robots have their programming. No, it was, it was very incomplete. I, yeah. I had the same questions. Well, so what's your architect? Is it like, what is, what is well, it? First of all, think of it this way. They're lifting images they think are cool. Like I said, mm -hmm. and they don't care if the public understands it and just sticking them in. That's why the train man makes no sense in the matrix. Alice in Wonderland makes no sense in the matrix, but they're looking at this going, Oh, that looks like Alice in Wonderland. Oh, we can stick train man in. That's what they're doing. As far as the architect, he even has a silver pen. Notice the architect with a silver pen? Why the hell does he have a silver pen? Because in mine, there's a silver pen. Again, it's one of the ones I didn't think was so cool, where there's actually a scene where Neo looks through Bane's eyes and sees Smith. That's in the screenplay. Neo looks through a former candidate or a person he worked with, Steve, who's an agent, and sees Behringer. He see it through the eyes. And so they mocked it in Kung Fu Panda with, um, I forget his name, Dustin Hoffman, mocks it where they have a scene where the, he's looking through the panda's eyes going, I see somebody, I see, so, oh, just forget it. They're mocking me for that concept. The Wachowskis used that concept, right? And he, it gets better. Bane, you know, and I'll go to your, you bring me back to your question on this. Bane actually has a moment where he goes like this. He takes a knife, he cuts across his left palm like this slowly. Does that mean anything to anybody in the story? Does that make any sense? Does it mean anything to anybody that Bane cuts his hand slowly? Why? Does he need to stay awake? Is it from um, that other movie, uh, Blade Runner? What's going on? Is he slowly dying that he's got to keep his wits? The reason Bane goes like this with the knife across his hand is because I did that in real life. I took a knife and went like this across my hand slowly. And it's because I lost the loved one, one of the loved ones, and I was in such grief. So Wachowski's those bastards, excuse me, excuse my French, had to mock me like Sophia Stewart did or through the death of a loved one by doing the same thing with Bane. That's why that's in there. And does it piss me off? It does. It pisses me off. The Wachowskis are that heartless. It makes nothing for the story. It doesn't propel the story, but that's why it's there. Now, back to the question, the architect. The silver pen is there because in that same scene where he's looking through the eyes, he's told to remove, remove an object from his pocket. It's a silver pen and it's blasted away. Why? It seems stupid. I even mock myself on it sometimes. Why did I put that in there? It's the loss of creativity. So what is the architect holding? A silver pen, not a gold one, not a black one, nothing like a silver pen. They don't explain it, they simply want credit. And what's on the screens that the architects monitors? It fills the screen for a second. What fills it? The image of Hitler. It fills the screens. Why? Because the architect's Hitler. 
So what they're doing is they're making everything lifted, simplified. It's never going to make sense. And what do they do as a service to you as the audience and intellects? Figure it out for yourselves, guys. Figure it out for yourselves. That's what they tell you. Well, I'll tell you what it means and I'll tell you where it comes from. The architect is integral. We need something in the story that the program comes from. And it's not robots in a program, Joel Silver. At the meeting, Joel Silver said to the suits, when the Trotskys left, they couldn't explain. They got upset and got on the phone and were screaming. It's in the article. They can't do that is what they said because they were thinking of actually giving me credit for my work. At the time, the Trotskys weren't coming through. They weren't cutting it. They failed at assassins. They were being bad boys and being very uh, obnoxious. So they were going to give it to me. That's what the word was. So they're getting upset. So Joel Silver's left at the table with the suits to explain what it means because Wachowski's can't, they can't, bothers them. That's why they didn't do interviews at the end after they started doing interviews. They were embarrassed, Joel Silver said. The boys were embarrassed answering questions about it because they didn't understand it. So what he says to the Bob, this executive, he says, Bob, if you understand this, robots in the program. And the executive very intelligently says, what do you mean robots in a program? You got us, Bob, it's robots in a program. No, it's not, Joel Silver. It's robot-like agents. Read the script again. Robot-like agents in the program ups the stakes, does it not? If you have real people as agents, they're not allowed to show feeling or you're terminated and you're monitored and you can see through their eyes and you're not allowed to show any feelings where you're monitored on your pulse rates and everything. And you're terminated if you show feelings, that raises the stakes, real life people. And in fact, Smith is not allowed to disconnect himself from the program, right? They have a scene in it too, where they rip it off, where they have him remove his earplug while he's interrogating Morpheus. And they, it's so stupid, guys. Mike, Bear, look, in comes the Smith agents, three of them, and one guy goes, mm, mm, mm. what the hell? What the hell? Juveniles wrote the ripoff. It's like the reason that he's not supposed to pull himself from the thing, which happens in the real screenplay, is you're terminated immediately. You're not allowed to cut that link. You have to have it always monitored. And they even have in screenplay, the original work that they're lifting as they make that stupid image, makes no sense, you know, is that they're asking for orders whether they terminate the Smith character in mind. They say, no, no. So when his plug is pulled, you're supposed to be detonated. They didn't do it for Smith, and that allows Neo to get the material to be dragged down to underground, to use the memories, to find the dome, and to create the ending. And that's where he's joined by his little girl restored to health, restored to life that had died in the uh, burning or the hospital. Best scene ever, they stuck in Interstellar instead. And that's where the ending is, where you hug and point to the sun and you have the satisfying ending go to blackout. The Wachowskis on set, look at articles. They say that everybody, they say everybody on set said to blow up the matrix, but we kept the original sequence of scenes. Those original sequence of scenes are spelled out clearly right there. They should never have kept them. They ruined the spine of the story. They took out the relationships. They ruined the spine by lifting all the images and simplifying and mixing in train man and stuff. They should never have kept the exact ending. The people, everybody on set was right, should have blown it up. So when it comes to actually fraud in court, no statute of limitations, we come forward with a documentary and then go to legal. They don't have a chance in heaven. I'll say heaven because they can have hell. Tom, so it seems like a lot of movies have been you know, <laughs> fractured off this one screenplay. Have you written other ones? And for this one, what inspired you and where was the source that it came from? It seems like you, this is an amazing Philip K. Dick-like creation. Yeah. Um, where, I, and I say that we don't create anything new. It comes from a higher self or it comes from source <laughs> or whatnot, but fascinating that you, was this your first screenplay you ever written? Were you perfect. writing other, like, give us the insight on With, this. What I call the door opener. It was my first screenplay. So I wanted to be perfect as much as possible. And I was meticulous. I was perfectionist. I wanted to be just right. And so in my mind, it had to pass my test. 
And that's why Bonaventura said, this is revolutionary, we're making this, you know. But the idea is that um, I was writing from an internal struggle. The internal struggle was this, and you gotta understand, you have to have my childhood in order to come up with this material. Wachowski didn't have this. You have to come from a certain author's background and suffering and striving and journey in order to create material that reflects that author's uh, journey. If it's gonna be his first work, you're gonna draw, you're gonna make your main character cast as yourself. So you can put flesh and bones on a character and know what their responses are gonna be as you journey through that story. You have to, so Neo was me. That's why they put Thomas A as Neo. They know it was modeled after me. They just talked about it during the pitch session. And so he dressed like me with a black tie and a white shirt. That's how I dressed at the time. And so what's interesting is you've got a situation where I was struggling a faith crisis when this all came about. I was at Pat Robertson's organization and he told me plans when I was being groomed to be the face of the Christian coalition. Yes, I was, check the records. And so what happened was they just took everything away from me. That's where the interrogation scene comes from with exact things said that was said to me. You have to have a real life backstory involved in order to create this material. Otherwise, how do you get from Plastic Man and Carnivore to the Matrix? And why did they say they failed as writers, as I said in 95 in the article, failed as writers have to pack their bag unless they're given the science project, uh-huh. And why'd you sit on Matrix if you created in 93? Why? And why are your attorneys saying that's one seamless piece created in 93 when you're saying that it's three, meant to be three separate pieces because you didn't hold congruency? Why is Joel Silver on set saying in 2003, we hope it holds together after we watch the rushes? That seems they just shot. Why? Why is he saying we hope we used up the rest of the story? Why? Why are you rolling the dice if you're not sure with millions of dollars in union wages if you don't know where the film's gonna tie together? Because you've got something in hand that's your ace in the hole that their attorneys are saying on tape, we've got it. There are no working drafts. There's only this. So re-guide me back to your question. I'll answer in a nutshell now. I think that was important material I wanted to share with you, but give me the question one more time and I'll answer in a nutshell and let it go. Oh no, I mean, you answered a good amount of it. I was just curious because it seems like such an amazing source material for all these other movies they've used. And that yeah. was your first screenplay. First. Do you feel like you were like channeling something or, I mean, that, that creative output from a first screenplay. And I've written screenplays. I went to film school. I don't know if you know, I went, I think some people in the audience knows, I went to film school. I took a screen, I took screenwriting coursework. Um, and uh, I know how difficult it is to write a good screenplay. It's an art form. In mm -hmm. fact, there's very few good writers left anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's funny, I was just looking up on IMDb. You know, they made a remake of Bound. That's how terrible Holly oh, no. Weird is. In 2017, they made a remake of Bound. Anyways, oh. that's all they do, right? They make remakes yeah. of remakes yeah. of remakes yeah. of classical works, right? Well, um, that's, yeah. But where did this come? I mean, and are you still writing screenplays? Life. From personal life. I have 14, 15 more. I've got contacts on tape saying, we need to see your work. Show us your work. How do we know you're not a two hit wonder? They say, at least they say two hit wonder because I have a green lighted off Broadway piece called The Domestics too. But the thing is that they're like, which Disney really tore up didn't want to. But the thing is like, they know I have more but I'm not releasing it. I'm not letting it out. It's not even on digital. It's on all handwritten. They know it and they're saying, you got to show us. I said, no. They said, how do we know you have it? I said, well, what do you think I've been doing since 1993, you know? So they know that. So therefore I'm considered their asset, star player on the bench, they said, while being a threat. So it's like, what do you do with them? Throw them in the garbage disposal or put them on the platter? So the thing is that right now, um, 
where it came from was, like I said, the crisis of faith where I was dealing with Robertson's organization and what their plans were. I wanted to whisper through art, warn people. And I didn't think anybody would get it this time or would be accepted during our time. I thought I'd be finished. So I was writing for future generations. And I wanted people to fill in their own backstories so each person would become immersed in the work and feel it was their story. I wanted everybody to own this story, not the Wachowskis and their shallow take on it. I would urge people to watch the Bound interview on YouTube and watch how they talk on the Bound with the Wachowskis, watch how they talk and tell me they could write anything from changing diapers to you know, romper room. Did, did you have a background in screenwriting? And also there's a lot of esoteric stuff. I mean, I haven't read your screenplay, but it's kind are of you, what's your back are you deeply researched in that stuff was, or was it just flowing out of you it's just I was born, mind-boggling born creating i was coming up with movie ideas since i was tiny playing the piano since i was tiny hearing music in my head since I was tiny seeing visually scenes go since i was tiny it was something so i came up with this idea it's a great question because i i do the opposite what i did was i tried to not read materials or be influenced by anything to create a world and their actual expert witness said Tom Aldous created a fantastic world that's not to toot a horn that's just to give the perspective of what's going on here where yes I tried to create a world that was unlike anything anybody had seen before keep in mind Hollywood says everything's been done under the sun right and Disney even has a manual they hand out or a book they hand out to their writers like the unlike a hero or something or hero or something that thing about how this template you have to use for writing screenplays or cartoons or whatever or series animation so what happens is I did draw from something I've never seen before, putting my own personal feelings into the idea, are we under a creator? Are we created? Deep stuff. Why are we here? How are we created? What makes sense? And I drew from that and I started asking questions. If we are created, then will that creator show his face or creators and let us have the opportunity if it's destined for us to be burned up, let us have an opportunity to prove, prove ourselves. Let us have an opportunity to be the good children and do great work and prove that we can be good people, not evil from the grave or from the birth, birthing bed. And so what happened was this prayer I said, basically, you know, I said like, you know, um, God, if you're there, if you're there, um, let me find a way to be with you that I can help others and find Zion, basically. I don't know why I blurred, I said like find Zion. And at night, I kid you not, at night, I heard this like, there's a Bible by my bed. I was a good Christian boy at the time. And I saw a little moon sliver on the Bible. It stopped turning. It flipped, I guess, a breeze or something. And I put my finger on that sliver and then turned the light on. It said the sons, paraphrase, the sons of Israel will ask the way to Zion and I will lead them weeping, or the weeping lead them and make a covenant with them forever. Zion, there's the first part of the matrix. So in a um, spiritual uh, school that I followed for a long time, it, which uh, emanates from the theosophical, anthroposophical, and goes through what they, they call the, the ascended master teachings, they allude to sometime in the future, there will be movies about this kind of truth that we're talking about and, and obviously hollywood is a, a black magician spell from day one you know and all about predictive programming so uh it, it's it's not too difficult to see why people like yourself are not allowed to make this kind of content so as we're looking at the world right now as they're trying to bring us to our uh, demise you know again that parallels the whole 
um, the whole movie industry as well. Do you see that day where your kind of material and depth and that is really for the upliftment of uh, the evolution of mankind? Do you actually foresee that happening? And well, then maybe uh, a little bit more is your documentary just chronicling, um, uh, you know, just the whole story you're, you're sharing with us today, uh, or does it kind of get into possibilities for the future? possibilities for the future too. And one of the things that's uh -huh. really we can turn this world over overnight. We can turn it around mm -hmm. and flip that pyramid. And what's interesting is think of this, Elon Musk is claiming credit for the work I did. He's claiming credit. They're grooming him and like, like I said, Iron Man too and things like that. Neuralink is all through here. He didn't come up with it. It's all through here, including Surrey and iPad and Steve Jobs stuff and Bill Gates stuff. It's all in there. And so what's interesting is if that credit was returned and if our hearts are right, Absolute power does not corrupt absolutely if compassion is seated in that power zone. And so that means it won't be corrupted. So they're the ones that throw that other thing at us. And if we had credit, let's say those of us involved in these kind of things got credit back for our work, that means Elon Musk loses face. That means Joel Silver loses face. Spielberg loses face. They'll probably go for crimes for humanity, but the, some of them. But the thing is that we now have the power. what they say on that contact tape to me? You've won the chess game. Interesting choice of terms. I wouldn't call it a game when my sons have been killed, but they call it a chess game. Um, we're afraid of your power. They're afraid of your power. That means we have the mantle of responsibility that we have won. That means that they can't get away with what we're going to be able to do. Now, they mock us through shills. He said he won. He won. What? He didn't look like he won. Yeah. When they say you've won the chess game, they mean that there's no other alternative now except you will prevail. They have lost their pieces off the board. And so that's what it means. So it is happening. So now is the great time where the best people get to come together. Those that have been courageous, industrious like yourselves, visionaries, no longer blocked, no longer interfered with to make a world that we've had plenty of time to think it through, haven't we? We've had plenty of time to think it through what it could be and how it could benefit all life, all life, even animals. And so there we are. Great things are coming. It could happen overnight anytime. We are on the winning team. There's no way to stop it. We own the credit for the work. They didn't switch my screenplay out for eight pages of scribble notes. They have no choice now but to falter. All they can do is buy time through bad means and throw cases through corrupt means, denying due process by putting their judges they want in place and getting the words they want in. But there's no way possible for the future unless they throw something that their plans are immediately they're helping their scale they're accelerating schedules we may find out uh to start stop a better world coming because those of us that hold the reins for that better world are the visionaries that have a heart for everybody out there if you watch spielberg's programs he mocks audiences all the time look at men in black look at men in black when the family's living room is invaded by the the black suits and they will smith and the character go tommy lee jones goes to the wall and opens it up and they see all the guns now you and i in that scene would probably be like what the hell what are you guys doing here do you want some tea but what are you doing what's that doing there talk to us why are you here no spielberg depicts audiences going like this the, the family goes like this <laughs> the subtext is we are idiots we are robots we are not worth saving we are fat on the bone we are the profane as they like anything. to say yeah. yeah we're a waste of flesh that's how they see audiences do you want films from people like that that that's their take on you no mr and or excuse me uh the agent um 
in the Matrix films, there's that famous scene where he's talking about humans, the filth of them, and how disgusting we are. You know, that comes from the screenplay, yeah. too. I know it's not a shock, but from this screenplay, we have the Smith character confronting Neo when he's trying to warn people what's going on. Boy, am I on my own screenplay, aren't I? With some great characters, great people, too, leading roles. And so what happens is he says that humans are just insects, nothing more, just insects. They're disease. That's what Smith says. Again, lifted that. They even have a line where it's like world's greatest dogfight underground. And they use the very same term, world's greatest dogfight description. There's a key that you turn, which another thing I thought was stupid that I put in, but the key you turn, one chance detonation of the tunnels. I thought it was dumb in the end. They used it. One of the things for copyright law is that if there's a mistake that's transferred into the stolen material, it's very telltelling. It's a thumbprint. They used it. They used that too. So they used even the mistakes. And what's interesting too, is you look at any episodes of uh, Netflix films, things like this, or series, you'll see that it even animates, it starts with action, then credit material montage. In the screenplay, it starts with action and goes to uh, montage. And that's what um, they, the, universe, the um, industry picked up and used. I got a call from a, um, here it is right here, on page 12. Now in the industry, any page is a minute, they used to say, and each text in the screenplay is a minute of shooting, a minute of film. And so on page 12, you end up with a montage finally. So Walking Dead, you name it, anything, Man in the High Castle, all these things start with action and then you have the montage of credits. The idea was that the credits would have scenes, uh, different images that the audience is supposed to be roped into going, how can those all possibly tie into a film and interrelate? And it's supposed to bring them in as they check it off as they see it mentally these scenes unfold. That was the idea. They thought it was revolutionary too. Bonaventura loved it. So now it's wow. common. This has been an amazing cast, amazing breakdown, mind yeah. blown on so many levels. We got to have you back. We're, we're kind of running on time here, yeah. Tom. Tom, uh, Tom, thanks so much. You know, this exceeded my expectations today and I had chicken skin a lot of the time when you were talking. And, uh, you know, just to reiterate what we're here about is just to, uh, you know, it's about people taking back their power. It's about mobilizing our will force. And with all the theater out there, people, uh, you know, do not think that they have the power. And, and I think just your your whole story here is, is uh, such a, a wonderful um, depiction of the truth. And I really look forward to, to, I think your day will come where you'll have, uh, you know, your moment to get really inspiring content out there. So uh, thank you so much. And um, let's, let's definitely keep in, uh, connected. I have so many more questions now. I'm not up on filmography like you guys are because I stopped watching movies a while ago, but there's a lot of other depth I'd really like to get into Sure. And uh, so I'd love to do a part two with this. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, we can support you with everything you've been through to, uh, you know, we're here and, uh, and thanks again. Uh, just such a wonderful connection today. My pleasure too. And I'll tell you what, I'm never going to stop because this is in honor of my sons. And that's where I get a bit mm -hmm. of honor. But this is in honor of my sons. So you can count on me never stopping. And when I win, we win. Only the shills don't win. But when I win, we win because the work was written for everyone. And uh, in mm -hmm. fact, I talk about when I'm done, if I win name credit for my copyright back, I'm gonna rearrange the copyright for everybody in the world owning it, except the Wachowskis and Dilsa over basically. Mm -hmm. It'll be everybody's property. Fantastic. You can one matrix story anytime you want, and it's free reign, free domain, the way it was supposed to be, copyright was supposed to be.
So thank you guys so much. Beautiful, Tom. Hey, thanks so much. And yeah, um, I actually closed my Netflix account over by maybe two years ago. Uh, no more for me. It was the, the cuties thing that was the, put it past me. I, my, I didn't want my kids going on the smart TV or Apple TV and getting on Netflix anymore. It's like, nope, no more. Um, yeah, the less we engage, the better guys. Um, and we have got other great alternative media and films coming out. And there are some people out there, even in Hollyweird that are trying to do good things, of course. So, um, but yeah, I see a revolution coming in the art form of film. Um, you know, and of course, kids these days barely have the, the uh, attention span to even watch an hour and a half, two hour film. My kids do, because I've been having them watching the great classics since they were very little. Um, but I, I do see I do see a renaissance coming to filmmaking again. Uh, it's going to be amazing. And you're going to be part of it, Tom. Thanks so much for your inspiring story and words. And uh, we will have you back again for sure. Uh, and everybody, if you uh, resonated with this amazing show today, wow, what a show. Um, please give it a like, a thumbs up, a share. This will be going on. It's already on, streamed on uh, some resilient systems like Odyssey, uh, be our, our new platform we're on, Be Sovereign. So those will live no matter what on there. This will also go out as an audio podcast everywhere. We'll also be putting all this up on Cordal. We're going to have a, um, a podcast, an alpha cast library. I'm going to get on Cordal very soon here. So that'll be, that'll be immutable on there forever as long as uh, that blockchain continues, which it should forever. Um, Tom, you should look up Cordal, Cordal.org. It's a fascinating project I've been involved with. Truly decentralized, um, encrypted system. Uh, and that's what we're doing here. We're creating the new for us. So thanks, everybody. Um, and uh, I hope to see some folks down in uh, the Ventura area this weekend. And um, Bear has been on a number of podcasts this week. We'll be sharing those with you guys soon. I was on with Chance yesterday on Interverse. I can't wait for you guys to hear that one. It was an amazing show. And we'll see you next week. So take care. We love you. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something, go for a, a hike. Mother Nature is our best teacher and we owe her one. So get out there and do it. We love you and we'll see you again. Cheers.